Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console. Xbox. I am said host Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of January 14th, 2021, including Bethesda-owned Machine Games is working on an Indiana Jones game, the co-creator of Dishonored is working on a new game, Minecraft Earth will be the first life Microsoft claims in 2021, and more. This is actually the first episode in a long time in terms of like news related stuff to talk about that I've just been like really, really excited to get into actually this week. I thought a lot about some of these stories. I thought about points I want to make on the show and just like, I don't know, I, I'm not usually the thing the part I look forward to the most on Xbox on is is uh, responding to and engaging with your comments if you can't tell by listening to the show. But this week, I'm actually really excited to jump into the news uh, of which there's a lot of good stuff. And in fact, it's such a good news. It almost makes me really butthurt that I feel like you had to say something about what happened this past week here in the U.S. because it is always about us. That's why we're called the Us America, the United States. It stands for us. But I don't really want to get into it because I hate getting political. And at this point, you know, in the past 12 months, there's just been so much shit going on, not only in this country, but in the world that it's like, I th- does anything phase anyone anymore? But yeah, our president basically sent a mob of fucking terrorists to attack our country, which is both horrifying in a lot of ways, but also extremely comical. It's this whole thing I don't really want to get into, but I just want to, you know, acknowledge that it happened because it'd be weird not to say anything about it. I mean, what can I say that everyone else doesn't already think? Uh, just fuck everyone, not just the president, but yeah, fuck, fuck everyone. I, I hate everything, but I, I would like to say, you know, if I can, you've probably already heard a million negative things in the past seven days about what happened this past week. So allow me to try and make light of it. And maybe just give you a little a little chuckle or a stupid dad joke to kind of, I don't know, brighten your days or brighten your perspective on our miserable political outlook right now. So coworkers of mine were talking about, you know, the whatever you want to call it, the storm, the raid on the Capitol, the some people call it uh, white people when they find out there's a sale going on at the Golden Crow. I don't know, whatever you want to whatever you, it is you want to call it. But uh, my coworkers were talking about blah, 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 blah. You know, all these thing, all these people think they're so patriotic and they wear the masks and, and all that shit with like the U.S. flag and, and they wear the shirts with the U.S. flag. And one of my coworkers brought up the point, you know, technically in the U.S., you know, you're not supposed to wear the flag or rep, use the flag in any context other than, you know, flying the flag, like using it as an intended flag. So he's saying technically, you know, people wearing face masks with the American flag on it or walking around with shirts with the American flag, technically it's a disgrace or something like that. I don't know. He was he was kind of getting all huffy and puffy and emotional about it. Like he actually gave a shit about this for some reason that like apparently like it's a disgrace to use the flag in any context other than using it as a flag. Personally, I'm not even trying to make this a, a, a thing specific to America. I feel this way about literally any country. I think flags are kind of fucking stupid for any context other than just representing that nation in a in a very blanket sense because you know to me what makes a nation what makes the united states is the people so i don't think the flag should be the representation of the country i think the people should be the flag is you know because we need because we as humans have a need to identify things and and put things in categories you need you know flags to be like oh that that one means america you know that oh that that flag means mexico that flag means fucking uganda so 
you, you need that. I get it. But at the same time, I think it's really stupid and really arbitrary when you think about, you know, the, the historical significance of flags and the kind of weight in, in importance that people put on, you know, the meaning behind a flag. I understand it's kind of sacrilege, I guess, in a way to kind of demean the flag or, or speak so low of it, not speak so low of it, but rather kind of take some of the weight and the importance off of it. Because again, to me, it's like the flag's representative. What matters are the people, you know, when the people are suffering, I don't really give a shit what the flag means. So to me, I just don't really care much about the flag. So in an effort to make the work environment less uncomfortable and less um, just tense, I decided to just kind of make light of it. And I said, so I don't own any American flag memorabilia because not, not because I'm un-American or because I hate America or anything like that, but simply because I don't, I think it's an ugly, tacky look. I don't like the idea of wearing a shirt with the American flag on it or wearing a face covering with the American flag on it. I just, it's just not my thing personally. But I said, what if, you know, hypothetically, I was like a diehard American patriot, like I bleed red, white, and blue. And my thing was like, I always wear American something or other, you know? So what if I'm wearing boxers that, you know, have the American flag on it, like a like a red, white, and blue stars and stripes kind of pair of boxers? And I'm wearing it out of love and respect for my country. But then I have a bad encounter with, you know, maybe something at the buffet or something at, you know, God forbid you make the mistake of going to like a checkers and, you know, shit happens literally and figuratively. So what if you find yourself in a scenario, you're wearing your American boxers, your American flag boxers, and you consume something that revolts, that that fires back at you and then you know, due to unforeseen circumstances, maybe you're stuck in traffic, maybe you're in uh, unfortunately distant from a nearby toilet. What if something happens and events unfold and you shit your pants? Is that is that up there with like burning the flag? Is that up there with like tearing the flag apart? Is that up there with like representing the flag upside down? Is 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 shitting your pants in that case also just a massive insult? Because my my coworker was getting so upset talking about how you know people misrepresenting the flag or ripping shirts with that represent the flag and all these things. It's un-American and it's just unacceptable. And he was getting really passionate about it. And I was just like, well, shit, what if, what if I was wearing an American flag, like boxers, like just boxers with red, white, and blue. And I shit my pants. Does that make me like a traitor to my country? Does that, do you think in that case, cause he was talking about like people need to be jailed for this sort of thing. And I was like, that's just, that's just stupid and harsh. Like if we're truly a free country, people should be able to feel the way they feel about the flag and, do whatever the fuck they want with the flag. I don't I don't fucking care. It's all it's all just fucking representative. You know, what really matters is is the people that make up the flag. So I just to me I don't I don't really get that. But let me know what you guys think about that. Like if I were, you know, you go to the old navy, you're not planning on doing anything. Maybe 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 like your significant other or someone dragged you into the store and you didn't really want to be there, but you notice fuck Old Navy's got boxers on sale. It's like three for $7 and, and they look like quality boxers and you get the ones with the American flag on it. Cause you know, Old Navy's always the store that comes to mind. Old Navy always sells just an absurd amount of like clothes with the American flag on it for some fucking reason. So you, you go to Old Navy and you get the American boxers and then one day you're wearing the boxers because they're a good pair. They fit right. You know, they feel good. They're clean. It's what's in the clean drawer that day and you shit your pants. Do you think that person deserves to be jailed or put on trial? Like, what what do you think of that? And I, I just like to know personally. But that's a that's just something I've been thinking about a lot this week. No one at work really had a solid answer to that, but maybe you do. So that's all of that. Now let's jump into the actual podcast that's supposed to be about about Xbox. Usually we do this a uh, whole comments thing at the top of the show, guys. 
This week, I don't know. Did I offend someone? Like, what happened? I, I, I'm sorry if I'm sounding entitled here, but, like, usually there's a fair amount of comments. This week, we went a little light on the comments. I don't know if, you know, it's the beginning of the year. Maybe you guys are just getting readjusted to the new year, going back to work from the holidays, or maybe your world doesn't revolve around my stupid fucking podcast and you don't always have time to leave a comment. I don't know. But uh, the comments were a little lighter this week, which is okay because it's surprisingly a heavy news week and a really good news week. So I think don't you know don't worry, we'll definitely fill out that two hour two hour runtime. But I don't, I don't know what happened. Listen, if I if I upset you, don't just ghost me. At least let me know what I did wrong so I have the chance to at least say sorry if it's something I'm sorry about. But with that said, let's get into the comments. Remember, you can always go to YouTube.com, search up Second Best Gaming. That's my channel. You'll find the Xbox on playlist there, and then you can leave a comment on the latest episode. I will read it then the next week. I pretty much read almost every comment, so it's a pretty high probability if you leave a comment, it's going to get read, especially if you're someone who, A, doesn't ever comment, or B, someone who rarely comments. Then then your odds of getting right on the air like 100% unless you're saying something ridiculous like uh, ketchup is good. So let's, uh, first few comments here, kind of a callback to last week's show where I did my top five most anticipated Xbox games of 2021. A couple of you guys wanted to comment in with your personal most anticipated games of the of the uh, year. So I thought we'd start out with those comments. Mr. Wes H says, uh, number five for me, Warhammer Darktide, four, Far Cry 6, three, Halo Infinite, Two avowed and one Hogwarts Legacy. That is an interesting list there. I think some really really good picks, but but I hate to be the one to burst your bubble here because I'm like 200% that avowed is not going to be a 2021 game. I just want to set the expectation for you now, uh, or maybe break your heart now so you have time to come to terms with this and get over it. When we see avowed at E3 this year, and all they have to show is probably a cinematic trailer and a vague release date of like 2023 or something. So. Listen, I hope I'm wrong and that Avowed does come out this year and that's great and you're happy, but I don't think Avowed's even close to a 2021 game. I think you got at least till 2023, but I could be wrong and and I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but good list nonetheless, Wes. Mr. Mickey comes in and says, I agree with all those cars you mentioned last week. I wouldn't consider myself a Honda head, but I'd love to have each of those. He, referring to the cars I was talking about last week, you say, especially a Honda S2000, great car. I think for my next car, though, when I get my shit together, I'll try to get a WRX, which is, of course, a Subaru. And you say, I also I also agree about being all I also agree about being all with electric, but keep the manuals on existing ICE cars. So sorry if that comment is over a lot of people's heads. I know, you know, obviously, if you're if you're an Xbox guy, you're probably here because you like Xbox, but not everyone's a a car person. I understand it's kind of an obnoxious separate little thing, but. Mr. Miggy, I do appreciate you commenting in with cars. Not only that, but you agree with things I, I think about cars. And I like to surround myself with people who agree with everything I like and everything I think. It makes me feel smart. It makes me feel important. And it makes me feel safe. And I, I want to I keep that up. So Mr. Miggy, continue to tell me the things I want to hear. But all joking aside, I don't know why. I, I, re- I agree with that, too. I just I don't know what it is. I feel like, you know, electric cars are super fucking cool. Obviously, that's the future and we're working towards it. And I'm really excited and I, and I really embrace that future. But at the same time, my opinion has always been and I think will always be with like traditional, you know, internal combustion engine cars. Like, why the fuck you get an automatic? You know, it's like I understand for most people, they don't care about cars. They just need cars for its utilitarian purpose. But like, I just don't understand, especially like people who like cars. It's like, why? Why do you get an automatic? It's like such a I don't know, something about like an internal combustible engine car. It's just like it's so 
archaic this idea of like we're gonna pour fossil fuels into this fucking car and then cause explosions and in, in burning in in our engines that make the car go places. It's like it's such a fucking dated and, and just like old mentality that it's like why did people try to sophisticate something that's already so I don't know to me just like archaic you know it's like people try to make regular cars all fancy with like really fancy interiors and like touch screens and features and leather seats that have heating and they make your butt tickle and all the all the fun features that like cars have nowadays but it's like it's literally a, a, a death trap that you pour gasoline into and cause explosions and like shifting gears is where we draw the line on like whether or not something is like an old archaic idea or a modern, you know, conventional idea. So I just find that so interesting. Cause like, obviously, you know, electric cars are so it's just something that just sounds so novel and futuristic and, and forward thinking. So it, it makes sense. It's like, why would you shift an electric car? You're basically just driving a battery, you know, but when, when it, something about classic cars to me, I'm just like, you're supposed to have a manual. You're supposed to feel the car. That's part of the excitement and the fun of driving a car is, is getting to manually control the car, not control half of it. It's like, it's like playing Mario Kart with the assisted steering mode on. It's like Mario Kart's really not fun if you're not controlling the drift, you know? So that's how I feel about driving. It's like driving is not really fun if you let the car do all the shifting for you. So I appreciate that. But let's let's try to stay on track again you say you're sorry your list of most anticipated 2021 xbox games are number five the next call of duty hopefully it's not broken four hogwarts legacy not a harry potter fan but it looks fun uh three gotham knights two back for blood and one halo infinite i think that's a really solid list right there it's funny you're you put cod on the list and we don't even know what the next one is but i understand if you're a big call of duty fan you you know you know, worst case scenario, it's going to be not your favorite COD, but it's still going to be Call of Duty. So I get that. Now you say, hopefully it's not broken. I hope that wasn't a slight at Call of Duty Cold War, Black Ops Cold War, because I, I hear so many people say that. And I don't I mean, like, I know it has some performance issues, but maybe I just got really lucky. I've put a shit ton of hours into Black Ops Cold War on Xbox Series X of all consoles, you know, and that's one of the ones where it has more problems. And I just don't like, don't get me wrong. I've had the game crash on me. I've had, I've had those stupid fucking crashes where you're halfway through a multiplayer match and the game just fucking shits the bed and you got to restart your Xbox. Don't, don't get me wrong. But like for the most part, I've had very few issues and like frustrating moments with that game. So maybe I'm just getting lucky, but I, I don't really understand why people say it's broken, but Hogwarts legacy. I, I agree with you on that, man. I'm not a Harry Potter fan either. In fact, you know, I've, I've said on the show, I kind of loathe Harry Potter. I think it's like a really fucking lame franchise. I think it's a, I don't know. People like try to give JK Rowling so much credit for making such a fun and imaginative world. And if you feel that way about it, I'm not going to try to take that away from you. Obviously, if that's how you feel about it, that's how you feel about it. It is what it is. But like, I don't, to me, it's like Harry Potter is such a fucking lame and cringy world. I just, I don't see the appeal of it at all, but I, I agree with you. I I'm interested in this game. Uh, mostly probably just because of the developer, but I, I'm I'm optimistic that there's going to be some good gameplay in here, so I, I might even give it a try as someone who like actively dislikes Harry Potter. But uh, yeah, Back for Blood and Halo Infinite are your top two games. That's because you're a good person, and you say, sorry about my usual essay-long comment. Don't you apologize for anything, Mr. McGee. You're, you're a beautiful person. I love you. Now, Josiah, my brother, comes in and says, my top eight anticipated games for 2021, because fuck you, this year will be too good for just five. Number eight, Hood. Okay, well, that game sucks. Number seven, Back for Blood. Well, that game sucks. Number six, Warhammer 40k Darktide. That game sucks. Number five, Evil Dead. 
that game sucks. This isn't him saying that. I'm saying it sucks because I'm just trying to shit on him. Number four, Resident Evil Resident Evil Village. Okay, fuck you. Number three, Psychonauts 2. Number two, The Medium. And one, Halo Infinite. Wow, your list is like dominated by horror. Horror and first-person shooters, you fucking unimaginative twat. Uh, but thanks for writing in anyway, little brother. Now, Joe Murphy comes in with our final comment uh, as far as uh, your most anticipated games of the year are. You say, Happy New Year, by the way. So I couldn't pick just five, so I made a top 10 games list for 2021. If it's too long, skip to number five. So here goes. Number 10, Stalker 2. I'm actually really excited for that myself as well. Number nine, Hellblade 2. Uh, I'm not sure that you're getting that in 2021, but here's hoping. Number eight, Avowed. We already went over that. Number six, Elden Ring. Uh, I'll keep my mouth shut on that. I, I don't know if I think that's coming out this year, but no, I got this backwards. Sorry. Ten is Stalker. Nine is Hellblade. Eight is Avowed. Seven is Elden Ring. Six is Hood, Outlaws, and Legends. And then you say, here goes the top five. Five, Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga. Four, The Medium. Three, Microsoft Flight Simulator. Two, Gotham Knights. And one, Halo Infinite. Sorry for doing ten, but this my list... W- but my list was a lot longer. By the way, totally agree about RC Cola, but it's better than Diet Cola. I've gotten about 48 games I want to play this year with games already out and games that are coming out soon. Just have to find the time to play. Joe, isn't that isn't that the plight of us gamers in general? But yeah, thank you for agreeing with me on RC Cola. Thank you for putting Halo Infinite at the number one spot. But uh, I gotta say, a lot of people really looking forward to the medium. I, I understand why, but at the same time, it's like, I don't know. I feel like some Xbox fans, and not to say you're doing this, Joe, you might just be really excited about the game. I'm not trying to take that away from you. I'm excited to play it too, but I feel like a lot of people are putting a lot a lot of stock in, in the medium, like saying like, oh man, this is the first console exclusive of the Xbox Series X. It's going to be great. It's like, I, I don't know about that. It might... You know, it might it might just be okay. Like, again, the reason why it's not coming to older hardware is just because to do the split screen world thing it does, it's they have to render the game basically twice and it'd just be hard to run on old hardware. I, you know, I, I get that, you know, and I respect that they're having the balls to put the game on just next gen hardware, but I'm not entirely convinced that the medium is going to feel like a next gen experience, if that makes sense. So, I mean, I'm pretty excited to play it too, and I don't mean to take away your excitement or demean it in any way, but I don't know. I'm just like, I guess I'm a little surprised to see how many people are really pumped about that game, and I get, you know, it's an imminent release, so it's easy to be excited about something you know you're going to have your hands on really soon. I don't know. I hope I hope it lives up to the hype. I hope when it comes out, I'm like, wow, I'm really pleasantly surprised by what this game turned out to be, because seems like everyone else really sees seems to see something special in this game that I'm totally missing. But let's get into the rest of your comments, guys. Like I said, there aren't really many this week, so we'll just kind of knock them out and then get to our really good news week we've got. So Arctic, uh, Arctic Chief comments and says, I started listening to your show the week of Halo 5's birthday. As we all know, that's October 27th. Game came out October 27th, 2015. Let's take a moment of silence to respect our beautiful Halo 5. You know, if they made a Halo 5 flag, I think I would I would understand better why you should respect the flag. But anyway, uh, you say, I've always been more of a listener than someone who comments. Uh, that was until you praised Dr. Pepper. Dr. Pepper is literally barbecue water. It's to me what diet soda does to you. There is never a time that I will choose Dr. Pepper. I'll make it easy. I'm a specifically uh, McAllister Deli sweet tea kind of guy. If not that, then cherry vanilla Coke. If that's not available, then I'll drink a Mountain Dew. No Pepsi, no RC slash 7-Up brand, period. That being said, I love your show. Your attitude sarcasm makes it so much better to listen to versus the other podcasts out there. Keep up the great work. 
And in a future comment, I'll explain my favorite games and food. I guess you could say get to know me kind of comment. Well, Arctic Chief, I appreciate you writing in. I appreciate you listening to the show. And listen, while I greatly disagree with your take on Dr. Pepper, I, I need to give you credit for something because calling Dr. Pepper barbecue water is quite possibly like the best descriptor. I don't know. Like obviously barbecue water sounds disgusting, but at the same time, it just really seems like the perfect way to describe Dr. Pepper. So even though I'm insulted by that comment because I'm a Dr. Pepper defender and lover, I think that's a really, really good uh, comment there. It's a little good, a little slight at the, uh, at the drink that has it all except you uh, because that's uh, that's just funny to me. But anyway, I got to be honest. I don't even know what the fuck McAllister Deli Sweet Tea kind of guy means. Uh, and cherry vanilla Coke is such an obscure flavor that you almost never find anywhere that I don't know when the fuck you're going out to a restaurant and just being like, uh, they're like, oh, yeah, what would you like to drink? And you're like, yeah, give me a cherry vanilla Coke. And they just go nine times out of ten. Okay, idiot, what do you actually want to drink? Because no one's got cherry vanilla Coke. You get that maybe sometimes at the store if it's in stock or at a Coke freestyle machine, which we've already established is not a viable way to consume a beverage. So where the fuck you get in the cherry vanilla Coke, man? Are you buying cherry Coke and then adding vanilla? Are you buying vanilla Coke and then adding cherry? I know cherry vanilla Coke is a thing. I, I've seen it in stores, but like this is a, a hard to find drink. So I am curious as to how that's like a go-to for you. Uh, but the fact that you're willing to include Mountain Dew in your list of drinks you, that you will accept uh, makes me forgive your previous, your, your prior transgressions and allows me to open my arms up to you. But you say no Pepsi, that's a little bit of a fuck you there. And it's it's okay if you're not an RC7up brand guy, but Dr. Pepper, who doesn't like Dr. Pepper or barbecue water? But thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for commenting in, and I look forward to hearing more from you in the future. Now, oh, actually, we're actually not done here because apparently you pissed some people off because Mavs Man comes in here and responds to you saying, banned for your Dr. Pepper take. I just want to say this. As some of you may know, Sarugi is technically our comment moderator. He's the only person with the power to ban people. I don't even have that authority. That's solely on Sarugi to determine who can make a ban or not. Um, but Mavsman has kind of gone over my head and over Sarugi's head and said that you're banned for your take on Dr. Pepper. So I just want to put that out there. Again, I'm not in charge of that. That's not my department. So let's give like a five second leeway time for Sarugi to come in and, and, you know, either approve or disapprove or rebuke this in some way, shape or form. So Sarugi, do you have anything to say? All right. And Sarugi is silent. So I guess Mavsman uh, has made his decision. Uh, Arctic chief. I think you are officially banned. I don't know if Mavsman has the moderator tools to technically ban you, but verbally he's banned you. So there's that. Uh, but you respond to Mavsman says, my wife once came home from the store and the only drink she brought was the Dr. Pepper to try to get me to drink it. I ended up going back to the store the next day because I had drank the kids juicy juice all night instead. So you're presumably a father. And what you're saying here is you drank your children's juice because your wife brought home Dr. Pepper. You said, this is unacceptable. Tomorrow, I'll go to the store and get a real man's drink. But for tonight, the kids are going thirsty because I'm getting their juice. I can respect I can respect a decision like that because that shows that you're a man of integrity. That shows that no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the sacrifice, you're willing 
to make sure you don't cave and become a Dr. Pepper consumer when you've made the decision and you've made the distinction that you are not a Dr. Pepper guy. So that's actually a really bold move that I have a lot of respect for. Um, so props to you, Arctic Chief. But um, Mavs Man responds again and says that you're an animal for doing that. So not only are you banned, but you're an animal. And comment in. Let me know. What kind of animal are you? ERNC05 comes in with our next comment says, I've been listening to your podcast via Spotify for about four months now, and let me say you are hilarious. I love the structure of your show and how it's not all about the games. It makes you more personable. When I started listening to your show, I was dieting, and a couple times I've broken that diet because of you. You spoke about McDonald's nuggets, which I haven't had in years, and somehow two weeks ago I ate them twice in one week. Then you spoke about rainbow cake at TGI Fridays, and I had that yesterday. Face palm emoji. Keep up the good work, and I look forward to hearing you every week. Oh, and I'm about to try Mountain Dew Major Melon. What are your thoughts? Okay, first thing here, I don't know what you. It's E R N, so I'm just gonna assume that's like a that means Aaron, like you're just taking out the vowels and you mean to say Aaron or E R N C, like. Aaron, I don't know. Please comment in. Tell me what you'd like to be called. I don't mean to disrespect or butcher your name here. But first of all, we'll get into the Mountain Dew Major Melon because that's going to be in the What I've Been Eating segment today. So thank you for bringing that up. But aside from that, just generally, thank you for for supporting the show, for commenting, and for being a part of this. I, I greatly appreciate your kindness and your words. But I, I got to let you know, I feel a great sense of guilt knowing that you're trying to diet and better yourself and take care of yourself, which is a awesome thing to do and something I applaud. And, and, and I know it's not easy because I go through phases where I try to be better about my health and what I eat and everything. And I know it's no easy task. So first of all, congrats to you, but I feel a great sense of guilt knowing that, that me just constantly talking about fast food on this show has, has driven you to the drive has, has brought you to the drive through, you know? So I apologize for that. <laughs> I, uh, I I really feel bad if uh, if like one day, I don't know, who knows, maybe one day the world goes crazy and, and this show becomes Joe Rogan big and or the world just collectively gets a little fatter and, and water levels just start to rise just a little more because I've influenced enough people to hit up the drive through And that's that's what you're scaring me about. That's obviously not a reality or that's something you're scaring me about, okay? Because, you know, I could be, who knows, I could be the next Joe Rogan and maybe one day I'll have millions of people listening to me talk about the TGI Fridays and then, you know, it's it's a great situation for the restaurants, you know, the TGI Fridays and the McDonald's, they'll probably have to give me sponsorships because I'll be sending so much business their way, but at the same time, it makes me feel like I'm single-handedly responsible for a generation of diabetics. So please don't 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 go to the drive-through resist the urge uh which is hypocritical of me to say because you, you know how i feel about the drive-through it's like my home away from home but anyway thank you for writing in with that emmanuel Pereira comes back and says hey jesse i'm loving your podcast and i've been listening to uh to a few of the older ones I like listening to the random chatter in the fast food talk. My wife and I live just outside of Toronto, Canada, and used to go to Orlando slash Kissimmee area quite often and are missing it. Hopefully COVID goes away soon so we can get back. Love Disney Springs. Anyway, I have been hearing a few people talking about the medium on Series X being the first showcase of what the console is capable of. No disrespect to Bluebird team, but but is it really... I mean, aren't they just rel- a relatively small development team? The game looks decent enough, but I'm but I don't think it will set a new bar for Xbox. Any thoughts? So thanks for writing in with this, Emmanuel. I actually meant to say my thing about about the medium uh, when I got to your comment, but I kind of spilled the beans and in some way 
feel like I insulted Joe for his excitement over the game. So apologies, Joe. I didn't mean that. And thank you for writing in with that comment, Emmanuel, because I think that's a, yeah, I, I mean, that's, it's something I've been thinking about too. It just seems like, you know, right now, What's that game that's coming to PlayStation 5, Returnal, from the people that make like Dead Nation and all that? I forget the I forget the developer's name. Their, their name escapes me now, which is annoying because I I know I know who that is. But anyway, so like that game's about to come to PS5, Returnal, and Medium's about to come to Xbox Series X. And for and, and I just I keep seeing like on social media like this comparison of like, oh, what's gonna be the better console exclusive in early 2021? Blah blah blah. It's like the games are nothing alike. And it's kind of weird to me that they're even being compared. I think actually, you know, someone who doesn't own a PS5 and is in no rush to buy a PS5, I think Returnal looks actually pretty damn awesome. And I'm a little jealous that I won't be able to play it. But the medium is is a different game. The medium is like a game I'm I'm like, like I said earlier, I'm kind of cautiously optimistic about it. I think it's it's cool looking and I think there's potential, but I'm worried that the whole like split dimensions thing is gonna end up being a little more of like a one note kind of pony like party trick because like you watch the gameplay demos and it, it just doesn't seem like there's that much depth to the game and I know for a lot of horror games like usually they are pretty thin in terms of like mechanics and things like that it's more about like unique setups for jump scares and, and creepy environments and like just suspense suspense buildup and things like that so I, I don't know what to think of the medium I think it's one of those games where I'm gonna have no concept of what the game actually is until I'm sitting there actually playing it controlling my hands and all but I agree with you. Bluebird team is a small development team. This game isn't going to be like AAA, top of the line, like Resident Evil grade horror. It's going to be a pretty, you know, middle. Uh, I mean, like in terms of like production value and polish, I'm expecting something pretty like mid tier. I just, I don't, I don't know. Like I'm excited to play this game. I think it looks cool again, but I just, I don't think this is going to be like a killer app. This isn't going to be like, hey man, I know Xbox Series X came out in November, didn't have Halo. I know that was a big bummer, but listen, the medium is out. You got to pick up the Series X. This is the fucking game to sell the con. Like it's not, it's not going to be that. This is a, this is a nice get for early adopters of the console who are looking for exclusive content. You know, who are interested in something kind of a little more mature and niche, like a horror game. But it's it's a pretty specific and niche product. It's not. This is not like a a big system selling killer app. You know, it's just it's exciting. I don't know. To me, this is the kind of thing that screams like that early generation appeal and attention because we're hungry for games. We're hungry for Xbox Series X exclusive content right now. So you know, a game like The Medium, which you know, if it came out in like 2018 or 2017 or something like that, it maybe would fly under the radar a little more. But because it's coming out two months after the brand new console, exclusive to the new console, all of that, it just generates a lot more hype and enthusiasm for what I think would otherwise be a little more of a, uh, of a under the radar kind of game. But like I said, I hope I'm, I hope I'm wrong about it. I hope Emmanuel's, you know, wrong for being skeptical and that we're all like proven to be just a bunch of dumbasses because this game ends up lighting the world on fire and being the next coming of Jesus Christ. I like, I hope I'm wrong. Like I hope this game's awesome and everyone has a great time and Xbox sells billions of units and, and all the PlayStation ponies have to drink their own tears. I don't fucking know what to say to it, but like, I, I agree with you. I think people are making, they're trying to like build this comparison that, that doesn't really exist and try to generate this hype that isn't really there, but we'll, we'll see. I don't know. And, uh, Let's wrap up with our last two comments of the week. Uh, X Burke 
comes in and says, if you're looking to kill uh, your hot dog binge before resorting to an uncomfortable conversation with your doctor, let me steer you to the nearest Ikea. I believe Florida has three locations, so hopefully you're near one. Along with their famous Swedish meatballs, they added 50 cent cheap ass hot dogs, at least here in Canada. These are old school in nature, the kind of goodness that only food fit to sit under a heat lamp can provide. <laughs> in times of hot dog cravings, eating five to eight Ikea hot dogs kills the sudden obsession for about a year or so. So, Exberg, this is a wonderful comment. And yes, you're correct. I live about 30 minutes away from an Ikea. I've been to it a handful of times since I moved here. And, and I know exactly what you're talking about with the hot dogs. Yes, I have, I have access to these 50-cent hot dogs that you're referring to. And uh, I don't know if I've ever actually had one. I've so for those you know for those familiar with IKEA, which I assume many of you are, usually the food format is like you know when you get to like the middle part of the showroom right before you get to like um like the warehouse where you pick out your boxes and your furniture and shit. That's where they have like the food court with the with the uh, with the famous Swedish meatballs and all the other shit. But once you get to the end of the story where you get to the checkout. Behind the checkout, there's always like this little secondary food court where it's a little more grab and go. It's a little more quick fix. It's the hot dogs, the slice of pizza. There's like a, a vegan bratwurst thing. I don't know why that's the thing I remember. And I think they have like frozen yogurt or custard or something like that. Um, so I know exactly what you're talking about. And yes, I, I, I've been to this food stand before. You know, I, I've skipped to the Swedish meatballs and go, no, thank you. I'm waiting until the end to get that grab and go shit because I'm a man who's on the run. I'm a very busy person. I don't have time to sit down and try out this IKEA silverware with this fucking Swedish meatball bullshit that you call like basically it looks like a fucking Thanksgiving dinner with meatballs. I don't have time for that. I'm a very busy person. So I make myself I make my way to the end and just like a true New Yorker, even though I'm not from New York, I, I grab my slice of pizza and I'm I'm out the door. I'm on my way to the next thing because I'm a very busy very busy person. As you guys know, I'm a black ops man. Probably gotta go home and play black ops. So I, every time I hit here, I always look at the hot dogs and I go, hmm, 50 cents for a hot dog. Why not? I always end up getting a slice of pizza, man. And Ikea pizza is damn good. It's, I mean, it's no, it's no Sam's Club or Costco pizza, but it's a, it's a pretty solid option. If you are, if you find yourself in I Ikea and pizza is available, I think that's a pretty viable option for, for a quick meal fix. Oh, you know what else they have? They have like, they have like cinnamon buns or something like that. I don't know why that's coming to my mind now, but I want to want to make you aware of that. They have cinnamon buns. But yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. I've never tried the, the hot dogs. But listen, expert, on your recommendation alone, I'm going to go out of my way to try one of these hot dogs the next time I'm at an Ikea because I believe you and I trust you. And I want to... I, I don't think I'm going to eat five to eight of them. I'll probably just try one. But yeah, I, I definitely want to give this a go. I don't know when the next time I'll fucking go to Ikea is, though. There's a There's a... There's a fucking pandemic happening and I, I don't have a need for a second couch. So I don't I don't know when I'll be back, but when I am, I'll keep that in mind. And oh, I didn't even mean to. I, I, I totally forgot to mention, Emmanuel, you mentioned being a Disney lover, a Disney fan, a Disney traveler. I feel so bad for you, man. I, I got to be honest. My my heart goes out to you because one thing I keep thinking of is like, you know, this sucks for everyone that no one can go anywhere. But like, I'm so incredibly blessed to be able to live 15 minutes from Disney World and still get to go there, you know, despite everything that's going on. And I feel so bad for people like you who live very far away and want to be able to come down here and experience this, but are kind of stuck and unable to do so. So heart goes out to you, Emmanuel. One of these days, we're going to do a massive Xbox on meetup at Disney Springs or Epcot or something at Disney World. And, and we're going to, we're going to just 
you'll know you'll know when it's the Xbox on group because we'll be walking around the park with Mountain Dews in our hands, and uh, we will probably all smell like sweat and uh, stale Mountain Dew because we're just a bunch of. I assume we're just a bunch of disgusting Xbox losers. Anyway, my last comment here comes. Our last comment here comes from my brother who says, "My turn to fight. Resident Evil is one of the greatest franchises of all time, and Four is one of the weakest in the franchise. It barely is better than Six, which was a really fun dumpster fire. It's less fun than Five and Six. It is weaker in every way than One through Three and Seven. It has a it has good atmosphere for the first half, but it falls off a cliff when you get to the castle part. I still love Resident Evil 4. There is no bad Resident Evil game in my opinion, but 1, 2, 3, 5, and 7 are all better uses of your time. I don't know Resident Evil well enough to really speak to this, but I do know Resident Evil well enough to know that's a fucking hot take and that people hate 4 and 5 or 5 and 6 and people love 4. So I won't say anything to this. I just want to put this out there. So if, if the audience wants to chime in and fight my brother on this, you can feel free to do so. I will step back and watch the chaos ensue. And with that comes the end of our comments for the week, guys. So thank you for writing in. Remember, for next week, don't be shy. Reply. Now we're going to jump into what I've been playing for the week. But before I can tell you anything about what I've been playing, it's pertinent that I tell you about what I've been eating. And as teased before, I tried that new Mountain Dew Major Melon. For the for those of you uninitiated, Mountain Dew Major Melon is the latest new flavor in the Mountain Dew saga, the Mountain Dew lineup. Mavs Man comes in, even though he's banned, and says, Been gone for a minute, but I'm back with another food comment. 7-Eleven has a new exclusive Dew flavor, Major Melon. It's watermelon-flavored Mountain Dew. Downed two 20-ounce uh, bottles while running up a 21-game win streak on Master Chief Collection. Now... Everything about that last sentence is awesome, and I love it. It makes me respect you a lot. In fact, it makes me want to pee-pee in my American flag boxers a little bit. But I got to be honest with you, Mavs man. Mountain Dew Major Melon disappointed me quite a bit. Now, I am i don't think it's a bad flavor at all. It's not, it's not a bad soda. It's a completely viable soda. But I feel very much the same way about Major Melon the way I felt about Frostbite which is the Mountain Dew flavor that came out last late winter, early spring. It's the one with like the shark on the can that was like just generic melon flavored. It's a totally fine soda, but it doesn't taste like Mountain Dew. And you're like, of course not. It's watermelon soda. Well, here's what I mean. There's something about like, you know, Mountain Dew Voltage, Mountain Dew Whiteout, Mountain Dew Livewire, Mountain Dew Code Red. Obviously, these, these sodas don't taste like classic Mountain Dew. They taste like their own flavors. But there's something about them that kind of tastes authentically Mountain Dew. It tastes like a Mountain Dew flavor. It tastes like it's part of the Mountain Dew canon, if that makes sense. You know, it has the correct amount of sweetness. It has the correct amount of, like, just, like, carbony like, punch to it. And it has, it has, I don't know, Mountain Dew has, like, a flavor that's, like, it's, like, out there enough that it's, it's, like, expressive and energetic enough that it's, like, it's a Mountain Dew flavor. It's not a generic fruit-flavored soda. It's Mountain Dew. That's one of the things I love about Mountain Dew. But the, my problem with flavors like Major Melon is while it is technically a, a decent soda, it clearly is less sugary than most Mountain Dew flavors, which is just not cool for school. And then two, it tastes like watermelon soda, which is what it intends to do, but also its biggest downfall. You see, Mountain Dew Code Red doesn't taste like cherry soda. It tastes like some weird-ass Mountain Dew flavor with a hint of cherry. You know, you can see why they call it Mountain Dew with a rush of cherry, but they don't call it cherry soda because it's not cherry soda. It's Mountain Dew. It's Mountain Dew's take. It's Mountain Dew's interpretation of some cherry-inspired soda. You know, 
Livewire. It doesn't taste like orange soda. It doesn't taste like fucking Fanta orange. It tastes like Mountain Dew with some twist of orange to it. And I feel like they've lost the plot a little bit with flavors like Frostbite and flavors like Major Melon, these newer Mountain Dew flavors where it's like, listen, a Mountain Dew watermelon flavor shouldn't taste like watermelon soda, which is what Major Melon tastes like. It should taste like some crazy, super sweet, over-the-top Mountain Dew flavor with some like relevant inspiration and, 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 and touches of watermelon influence on it. And I think Major Melon totally misses that. In fact, this is what I mean. Major Melon could have released as like, not Fanta, Fanta's Coke, Crush. Uh, Crush, it's like a Pepsi's competitor to Fanta. So Major Melon could have come out as like labeled as Crush Watermelon. In fact, I don't, maybe Crush even has a watermelon flavor. I wouldn't know. But they could have labeled it as like Crush Watermelon flavor. And I would have been like, yeah, it's a watermelon soda. That makes sense. And that's the problem is it's, it, it doesn't taste distinctively and inherently like a Mountain Dew flavor. It just tastes like a watermelon soda. So is it bad? No. But is it is it Mountain Dew? I, not not to me, at least. But I'm glad people are enjoying it. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I have a 12-pack in my fridge right now. I'm working through it slowly. I'm trying to savor it because I, I won't I won't buy any more of it. It is a one-and-done flavor for me. I'll add a single can to my collection of Mountain Dew flavors, and I will drink the rest over the course of a month or two. But... It is fine, uh, and I hope there are better dews to be had in the future. I think the last great new Mountain Dew flavor was uh, Mountain Dew Voodoo, but technically that was first launched in 2019, even though they re-released it in 2020. So I'm hoping we get back to the more eccentric Mountain Dew flavors, but for now, I'm glad people are finding enjoyment of their major melon. And and, and just to a little correction here, Mavs man, you say it's exclusive to 7-Eleven. No, I, I got it at Walmart, so... I, th- I actually thought it was exclusive as well. So not to knock you down, like I thought I thought it was exclusive to Walmart, which is why I only looked for it at Walmart. So the fact that you found it at 7-Eleven tells me both of us are stupid. So maybe, maybe we need, maybe we need to both be banned. Oh, I'm sorry, Madsman. I said that you were banned. You weren't banned. Arctic Chief was banned. You were the one who banned him. Anyway, this is stupid. Let's, let's, let's get away from that. So that's Mountain Dew Major Melon. Those are my thoughts on the Major Melon. Guys, thank you for listening to that. But uh, I think now it's time to jump into what I've been playing. And I know so many of you are probably so tired of hearing it by this point, but I think this might be the last week I have to talk about this. But Call of Duty Black Ops, <laughs> I don't know. I, listen, I don't know what happened. I had plans for December, okay? I had I had games in my backlog I wanted to tackle. I thought by this point, you know, now that the thing that was holding me up at work is over, I thought by now I'd be jumping into Cyberpunk. I don't know what's going on in my life. This Black Ops thing has taken me over, but I can feel it. You ever, you ever feel it where you're like, you know you're starting to like fall out of a phase or something? I can start to feel the beginning of the end here. I know the Black Ops obsession that I've been going through the past month is starting to slowly fade out, but I've got to finish what I started, this quest to revisit the Black Ops games I loved and to visit for the first time the Black Ops games I missed. And I'm going through the whole series and I'm I'm almost done. This past week, I finished the Black Ops 3 campaign. I've been playing the game a lot the past few weeks. Lots of zombies, lots of multiplayer. And now I'm done with the campaign. I'm pretty much bookending Black Ops 3. I'm done with it. I'm ready to put it back. And here's my verdict on Black Ops 3. Zombies, big old thumbs up. They did a real good job with zombies. I I, I don't like some of... There are certain things they did with the zombies that I'm not crazy about. But overall, and considering how much I think Call of Duty's dropped the ball on zombies time and time again over the past few years, I gotta say... Black Ops 3 Zombies, really damn good. And I understand now why people say, you know, 
don't buy Black Ops for the multiplayer. Don't buy it for the campaign. Buy it for the zombies. I've heard that from many people before, and I totally understand what they're saying. Black Ops 3 is a great place to play zombies. All the best maps, totally remastered. They look and run great. All the new maps, some you know, some are good, some are bad, but they look and play great. And there's just so much zombies content on Black Ops 3 between all the DLC and expansions and shit that it's just like the definitive place to play zombies because there's just so much variety to choose from. And the matchmaking is still pretty active. Like I can jump into like an obscure old World at War map on Black Ops 3 and still matchmake on zombies. So Black Ops 3 from the perspective of zombies, big old thumbs up. I, I, I enjoy it a lot. I'll keep the game around for that alone. Black Ops 3 multiplayer... See, when I when I first started playing Black Ops 3, I thought the multiplayer was like better than I expected. But the more I played, the more I realized I don't like Black Ops 3 multiplayer. I fucking hate the wall running and the jetpacks and the triple jumping and the boost jumping and all that shit and all the special guys and all that crap. Like it just doesn't feel like Call of Duty to me. And it feels like so many of these advanced movement features kind of spit in the face of like the basic mechanics of black ops like grenades are useless when everyone's jumping around and flying and it makes camping worse and it kind of makes sniping useless and just all this stupid stuff and it just it, it just feels like not call of duty it just feels like this crazy jumping running fest of like wall running and in all this crap and it just it kind of breaks the formula and the flow of call of duty for me so black ops 3's multiplayer not for me uh i think you know Right now, with Cold War being the most recent Call of Duty, I think Black Ops is in a way better place right now with multiplayer than it than it was during the Black Ops 3 days. So I don't feel like I missed out much there. But campaign, man. Call of Duty Black Ops 3's campaign. Let me just get the good stuff out of the way first. There are some cool scripted moments. There are some cool, like, blow-up big scenes, right? Okay. And the campaign is very, very polished. You can tell they put a lot of work into making this a complete, polished, well-presented package. That is all the good stuff I'll say about it. Black Ops 3's campaign fucking sucks. The latter half of the campaign is just fighting the same fucking robot boss mech thing with a grenade launcher on endless repeat. You guys want to bitch and moan about Halo 5's Warden Eternal boss battle being, like, way too present? Fucking look at Black Ops 3. You fight this same tank spider-looking thing with a grenade, with a rocket launcher, over and over and over again. Basically, the last five missions of the game are just fighting that thing on endless repeats. Fucking annoying as shit. It's so dumb. And that's really unfortunate, because the first half of the campaign has a lot of, like, varied levels, where even though I'm not crazy about the characters or the story or anything, at least the mission variety's broken it up enough that, like, it feels like there's a nice mix of, of levels and things to do in the game. But, man, that second half just devolves into the same fucking fight over and over again. It's not fun. Fighting robots, fighting big old boss robot machines in Call of Duty is not what I'm here for. It's not fun. And Black Ops 3's story is super fucking lame. The characters are super fucking lame. There are, there are concepts of the story that are really cool, but it's like the the places they chose to go with these ideas and the characters they wrote and the, and the scripts and everything, it's just, God, it sucks, man. It sucks so much, and it's not even a Black Ops game. It's really, it has nothing to do with Black Ops. There is a forced mention of Nova 6 gas and a forced mention of Raul Menendez, the bad guy from Black Ops 2, literally just the, for the sake of connecting the universe. But other than that, it's totally unrelated. It is not a Black Ops game. None of your Black Ops characters from previous games show up. Nothing about the story or the events really matters in relation to the other games. And it's so far in the future that it totally distances itself from the older games in every way imaginable. And I'm kind of glad that's the case because it, it upsets me that this game gets to fly the Black Ops name because it's just not a Black Ops game. 
and it's just so bad. It, you know, Black Ops is a franchise that has such a good reputation if you're just talking about the context of World at War, Black Ops 1, Black Ops 2. And then 3 just totally shits on that otherwise flawless record or, or pretty solid track record. So I, I, Black Ops 3, I'm so glad to be done with it. I, I never want to play that campaign again. I already forgot most of it because it just sucks and I hate all the characters and that fucking main bad guy dude. I just want to punch in the face because he looks like such a douchey, ugly man. But we're done. It's done. We put it away. We don't have to think about it anymore, okay? So I moved on from Black Ops 3. Well, what did I move on to? Well, after a week and a half of being lost in the mail thanks to USPS, Black Ops 4 finally showed up, guys. I got Black, got Black Ops 4. We're on that Black Ops 4 train now. I gotta say, I haven't had a chance to really play it. Last night, I spent most of the night installing it and writing the notes for today's show. But I did play it a little bit at the end there. My girlfriend and I sat down and played some zombies so far, it looks like Black Ops 4 has a really strong Zombies offering, so I'm excited to get back to that, and I'm going to get into the whole game, try try out all the modes and everything a little bit. I played like a single game of Blackout, and I got I to gotta say, even though I'm not a Battle Royale game kind of person, I really appreciate how Blackout is just a love letter to Black Ops, the franchise, where like all the different parts of the maps are themed to like iconic locations of the Black Ops universe, and they have zombies and stuff like that on the map. I think I really missed out on something special with Blackout by not owning Black Ops 4 when it was a relevant game. And now that Warzone is the current Call of Duty Battle Royale, I think I kind of shot myself on the foot and missed the boat there a little bit, and I, I'm starting to regret that a little bit. But I'm also excited to jump into the multiplayer, which I know doesn't have the wall running and booster packs and shit like that. So I'm really excited to see if I like Black Ops 4 multiplayer. I think I will. It has a lot of remakes of old Black Ops maps I love. And the game just looks promising. So I'm really looking forward to that. I'm very certain that I'm going to like Black Ops 4 a lot more than 3. But here's hoping. So I'll get I'll report back on that next week, I guess. But I can already feel it. Like I'm starting, to, my excitement and my energy is starting to fade. I'm starting to look around and wanting to play other games. So I think the Black Ops thing, the Black Ops thing is coming to an end. I apologize to you guys that I've been harping on Call of Duty for so fucking long. But we're almost done with this, I, I guess. I didn't. It's really weird. I swear I haven't been this into Call of Duty since like 2012. But man, I guess this is this is my life right now. This is what's going on. I'm a Black Ops guy. I've always been a Black Ops guy. I'm thinking about getting a Black Ops tattoo. So talk me out of it or don't. But I'm getting. I'm probably getting the numbers tattooed on my ass cheeks. So that's going to do it for all of our comments, starting sections, everything. We're 53 minutes into the fucking podcast, and we already have a long news week to get to. So guys, without further ado, let's jump into the news. All right, so this first piece of news is is, is going to be the biggest one. So this is three big news stories that happened on one on Monday, one on Tuesday, and one on Wednesday. And we're going to break it down kind of piece by piece and go and go through it all as one collective big piece, but in smaller segments at the same time. So let's stop being vague about that and jump in. But this is a <laughs> this is a big fucking story to tackle. So on Monday, Lucasfilm, the Disney owned team behind Star Wars and all the other big Hollywood things that thick bearded 40 year old white men like to bitch about, took to StarWars.com to drop some bombshell news. They said, quote, Lucasfilm Games is now the official identity for all gaming titles from Lucasfilm, a name that encompasses the company's rich catalog of video games and its eye towards the future. 
end quote. Immediately, this brought to question the fate of the Star Wars video game license in the sole hands of publisher EA Games, as they've had a nearly 10-year exclusive deal, with rare exception, to the franchise. Well, we will get to that part in just a minute, but it appears that Disney is taking their Star Wars and Indiana Jones licenses and bringing them under one unified umbrella. Again, I say... I say again because listeners may recall that back in the 80s, the Lucasfilm Games banner was used for a similar purpose for in-house games like Maniac Mansion and Monkey Island. Later in the 90s, the banner was renamed to LucasArts, the name associated closely with some of the most beloved Star Wars games of all time. However, shortly after Disney acquired Lucasfilms in 2012, however, shortly after Disney acquired Lucasfilm in 2012, they decided to shutter Lucas LucasArts and that was the decision that ultimately led to the now infamous EA partnership that many of us know and in most cases are frustrated towards uh, today. And then this is, of course, an example of classic Disney not actually having a clear vision for what they want to fucking do. They're just running around canceling and closing shit, firing people and writing things off left and right with no real intent or creative vision in mind. So we'll stop there. Obviously, the story gets much bigger, um, beginning with the news that launched on Tuesday and then on Wednesday. But I think for now, we'll stop here and talk about this first section. So this is different because it's not quite the same thing as what Lucas Lucas Games and Lucas uh, Arts was in like the 80s, 90s and early 2000s. This is actually just kind of an arbitrary banner, if you will, because basically what what this is, is it's it's saying that now when you play the next Star Wars game or the next Indiana Jones game or whatever, it's just going to show the Lucasfilm Games logo at the beginning of the boot-up screen, much like when you see a Marvel movie, you see the Marvel logo, or when you play like an Xbox game, you see Xbox Game Studios logo. So it's kind of like that. It's kind of taking all their properties and putting them under under one banner. But the thing is, this isn't LucasArts is an actual developer. They're not making games. So it's kind of a different thing from what it used to be because what Lucasfilm Games is going to be is just simply just the banner and the kind of unifying identity of these properties. Whereas the games are going to continue to be made by individual uh, developers and, and publishers. So basically what they came out and said here, the day this was announced was like, Hey, EA is not going anywhere. They're still working on star Wars, but this leaves this, this opens the door for us to work with other people. So actually let's just jump into the next part and we can kind of talk about that in tandem with this. Um, but I, I do want to say this is kind of frustrating because you know, Disney, when they bought Lucasfilm, shuttered LucasArts and then canceled Star Wars 1313 and just tons of people lost jobs and and, pro- and were shuffled around and all this shit happened, much like when they just blindly canceled Disney Infinity and fucked everyone over with that. And the only thing that makes me more frustrated than the fact that they did that is now after a really shitty botched sideways deal that they've had with EA over this past decade or so. They're now just going back and recreating the thing they fucking disbanded to begin with. So it's just like, what the fuck is Disney doing? I, I, this is this is the kind of stuff, you know, for someone who loves Disney, I sure love hating Disney because this is like, what, what are you fucking doing? This is them basically just saying, hey, we want the benefits of what we had with LucasArts uh, without having to spend the money to develop these games and, and, and publish them and shit like that. So it's basically their, their way of saying we get more brand and unifying identity uh, over these games without having to really put in the money and resources to making the games ourselves. So it's 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 a lot of what Disney's doing with Marvel right now in, in the world of gaming, which is we're not, you know, we're not giving Marvel 
to one studio or one publisher were splitting up the properties to different people on a case by case basis to, you know, make sure there's a, a good quality for each property and making sure that, you know, we can get money from a variety of different outlets and publishers and things like that. So, for example, we know we've got Spider-Man coming from Sony and Insomniac right now. We've got the, the Avengers game coming from um, uh, Square Enix and Crystal Dynamics right now. So I think this is something very similar to that, but for Lucas, for Lucasfilm now. So now they're, they're taking a similar approach to Indiana Jones and to Star Wars where they're saying, okay, well now, you know, we'll let this developer work on this Star Wars game, this developer work on this Star Wars game, and this developer can have an Indiana Jones game, but they're all going to be under the LucasArts banner, just like how all those Marvel games are under the Marvel Games or whatever banner. So I, I get what they're going for here, but it's just, uh, I don't know, it's it's kind of lame and lazy to me. I wish they would just go back to actually taking these projects in-house, but at the same time, I guess this is cool because, you know, you play a game like Spider-Man 2018, you're like, okay, well, Insomniac is a phenomenal fit for a Spider-Man game, but also sometimes you get games like Star Wars Battlefront or uh, Marvel's Avengers, which are just like lame as shit. And it's like, well, I'd rather just go back to having Disney Infinity at that point. But anyway, that's part one of the story. Let's jump into part two. And part two, I'm actually skipping. So that was the, the news that broke Monday. Now we're going to jump ahead to the news that broke on Wednesday, and then we'll get back to the big news from Tuesday. So on Wednesday, French publisher Ubisoft dropped some more massive news uh, that their internally owned developer, Massive Entertainment, the team behind The Division and Division 2, are now hard at work on a brand new open world Star Wars game. As neatly put by Gamatsu, developer on the new, development on the new title is still very early, and Massive Entertainment is still recruiting staff for the project. The Division 2 and crew director, uh, Julian Garrity, uh, will serve as the game's creative cre- director, and it will still use the Snowdrop engine. The Massive Entertainment-developed Star Wars game is the first major Star Wars game not developed by Electronics Arts to be announced in about eight years. Speaking to Wired, Disney Global Games and Interactive Experience uh, Senior Vice President Sean Chopa said, quote, Electronic Arts has been and will continue to be a very strategic and important partner for us now and going forward, but we did feel that there's room for others, end quote. This opens the door for other publishers and developers to pitch their ideas for stories to Lucasfilm Games, which ultimately has, quote, final approval over everything, end quote, according to Lucasfilm Games Vice President Douglas Riley, who says, quote, we get no shortage of folks uh, knocking on our door wanting to play with our toys. He said, quote, this is really the culmination of years of preparation to come out and say, hey, we're here. We got a team of people. We're going to make a lot of great games. And here's something new for you that you weren't expecting from us to do. And we're now starting to, but we're now starting to do, said Riley in the Star Wars blog post, continuing with quote, and that's going to continue through the next year or so. We're going to continue to announce new projects that are even more representative of the legacy of old Lucasfilm games that we're trying to live up to. And then shortly after this was all announced, Electronic Arts tweeted saying, check, we love Star Wars. Check, we look forward to continuing our partnership with Lucasfilm Games. Check, we're making more Star Wars games. And check, BD1 is still the cutest, which is basically their way of saying, even though... Lucasfilm Games is now a thing, and other publishers and developers are going to get their hands at the Star Wars license. We're still making games too. BD1 is still the cutest, basically means there's still going to be a Jedi Fallen Order 2, which we kind of already knew. They say we're still making Star Wars games, plural, so you know they're working on more than just Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, I assume. 
They're going to have more kind of one-offs like that uh, TIE Fighter one that just came out a few months ago that I'm forgetting the name of for some reason, uh, Squadrons or whatever. And so, yeah, this is basically their way of saying, like, hey, don't forget about us. We still have Star Wars. We're just not the exclusive owners of it. So there's a lot to unpack here. You could say that maybe Disney was just really upset with the way things went with EA and the Star Wars brand because keep in mind, EA had sole access to the Star Wars property during some really fucking critical years for the, you know, for the most part. So like I, like I said... EA has had exclusive access to Star Wars, but that's, like, mostly, right? So, like, for example, TT Games has still been able to make Lego Star Wars games. That's one exception. And then Disney Infinity, Disney's own internally developed game by Avalanche Software, was still alive and kicking until early, mid-2016. So, so in 2015, when Force Awakens came out, Disney Infinity 3.0 was still able to have a bunch of Star Wars content, and it did. It had Star Wars content from the prequels, the original trilogy, and the Force Awakens. So we got a lot of Star Wars in Disney Infinity shortly before that game was canceled, uh, because God hates us all. And uh, so at, at the very least, you know, we have had non-EA Star Wars in this new Disney era of owning Star Wars, but... For the most part, you know, from this span of 2015 when Force Awakens came out till today, where now that new trilogy is wrapped up and over and we're into the Mandalorian and the 400,000 Disney Plus shows of Star Wars that we're getting soon, we see that, you know, EA, a lot of people argue that EA's kind of squandered the franchise. Not not just because of things like Battlefront 2 having all that controversy for the first few months it was out, but also just because the amount of content they were able to push out was kind of underwhelming. They got two Battlefront games out, that one Squadrons game, and Jedi Fallen Order. Other than that, all they were able to push out was just some mobile games. So there is something to be said about the fact that EA had practically sole rights and and, and control over the Star Wars brand in terms of video games during this really crucial time period where Disney was releasing their trilogy of Star Wars movies. And you gotta think, throughout all that time, not only was, was EA facing a lot of backlash for some shit, namely the Star Wars Battlefront 2 stuff, but also on top of that, Disney was probably constantly kicking themselves over and over again for the fact that they probably had Ubisofts and Sonys and Microsofts and fucking Activisions knocking on their door left and right being like, hey, can we make a Star Wars game? Hey, can we make a Star Wars game? Like, hey, we want to jump on the bandwagon of these new Star Wars movies. Can we make a Star Wars game? And it's like, sorry, EA has an exclusive contract and we can't do anything about it, you know, with the exception of Lego having their weird Lego Star Wars thing, which I guess is treated as like a separate IP. But yeah, so there's always been the argument that Disney's kind of mad at EA for the way that went. I don't know that they're necessarily mad at them, but I think I think they saw the way this played out and thought to themselves, it wasn't ideal to give EA, you know, no matter how much money they gave Disney, you know, sole access to this property when they could have made a lot of fucking money by just, you know, what like if you're Activision, if you're Ubisoft, and you you you're a big ass publisher with tons of fucking money, you're gonna pay whatever the fuck it is Disney asks for to have access to the Star Wars license. You know that's basically a blank check, and Disney knows that. You know Ubisoft says, hey, we'd like to make a Star Wars game. Disney goes, okay, here's a fucking blank check. Write a number that makes us happy, and you can make whatever Star Wars game you want. You can make the fucking Luke Skywalker, the Luke Skywalker Qui Gon Jinn uh, dating simulator game. I don't give a shit. Just fucking give us money. And the fact that they left so much money on the table during those critical years of that new Star Wars trilogy being out just just must have been like watching money flush down the drain. And that's not to say, you know, that deal with EA didn't bring in money. Of course, EA must have paid through the fucking ass to have that deal. And then on top of that, you know, despite the drama and all and all that shit, 
games like Star Wars Battlefront 1 and 2 sold like absolute crack. Like, they made so much money on those games. So it's not like it was all for naught or it was a big failure of a deal as much as, you know, I think gamers might like to make it out to be. But I don't know. It could be argued that there was more money to be made or it may have been more beneficial and they could have gotten more products out had they gone the route of kind of piecemealing games to various publishers and developers, which is, you know, seemingly what what they're going to be doing now. So that's that part. And and keep in mind, you know, obviously, as as quoted kind of in the story a little bit, the whole thing about the uh, Lucasfilm games isn't entirely just, you know, just putting a banner over it. It's also saying, like, we're going to let other people make games in these universes, but it also kind of gives us a platform to have some kind of creative control and input, which is kind of already a thing Lucasfilm's always done. You know, people who work on Star Wars books, Star Wars games, Star Wars extended universe content always talk about how Lucasfilm is very hands-on about, you know, like here's our star Wars Bible. This is what you can have in a star Wars game. Like this character can't do this. Does this make sense? Does this betray the Canon? Things like that. Very much like how three, four, three is with halo. So in another sense, that's kind of what this is, is it's a massive brand to kind of control and make sure and oversee that all these other developers and publishers working on star Wars games are operating within, you know, the the limits and the, and the bounds of what Lucasfilm deems uh, suitable, which is, I mean, like, who gives a shit what Lucasfilm thinks because they fucking put the Rise of Skywalker out, so clearly they don't they don't care about Star Wars either. But yeah, I mean, there's there's that. So that's part two of part three, and now we jump into part three, which is go, us going back to Tuesday. And the reason why I put this part last is because it's the least related to Star Wars directly and because it's the most exciting and biggest news for us Xbox nerds. So finally, backtracking to Tuesday, where Bethesda dropped perhaps the biggest, most Hiroshima-sized bomb of all three stories combined, at least as far as Xbox is concerned, uh, basically to complete our trilogy of Lucasfilm-related stories. The soon-to-be Microsoft-owned publisher, Bethesda, announced on Tuesday that their Wolfenstein developer, Machine Games, is now in in the early stages of developing Developing an Indiana Jones video game. Alongside the unannounced, uh, alongside the announcement came a small teaser that had less to do with the actual game and more to do with the announcement itself. If that's not crazy enough, the game is uh, set to be executive produced by Mr. Bethesda himself, Todd Howard. Howard is already presumably hard at work on Bethesda's uh, upcoming titles, Starfield and The Elder Scrolls VI. So the fact that he's playing a big role in Indiana Jones's development is quite intriguing. According to the press release, the game, quote, uh, will tell a wholly original standalone tale set in the height of the career of the famed adventurer, end quote. Bethesda also noted that, quote, it'll be sometime before we have more to reveal, but we're very excited to share today's news, end quote. So think of that like the Starfield um, Elder Scrolls Six news where they're just announcing this way premature. And then the story wraps up with, of course, the only thing more interesting than a AAA next-gen Indiana Jones game for Machine Games and Todd Howard is the burning question of whether or not this game will be a console exclusive on Xbox consoles, considering the recent Microsoft purchase of ZeniMax, parent company of Bethesda and its many developers. So this is the the massive the massive bombshell on top of the many other bombshell announcements from from Disney and, Beth- and Lucasfilm and all that shit this week, which is now we've got machine games from Bethesda. This is like a this is like a clusterfuck of like who saw that coming, right? It's like you think about like the people who get licenses and make games. It's like it was a little weird when like Crystal Dynamics and Square Enix were like, oh yeah, we're getting Marvel's Avengers. It's like, oh, that's a little weird. 
But, you know, you think about something like Sony doing Spider-Man. You're like, okay, that makes sense. They kind of already have Spider-Man with, with the movie deal and everything. You think about, like, EA doing Star Wars. You're like, that that sounds right. EA and Activision are always licensing out movie shit. Like, that, that makes perfect sense. But you think about, like, Bethesda and Machine Games doing Indiana Jones. It's like, those are, you know, that's a publisher and a developer that don't really work outside of their own unique IP that they own. And that's an IP that we don't really see a lot in gaming anyway, either way. So it's just a whole lot of like, huh, that's really odd kind of, kind of combinations coming together under one roof. And I mean, you could say, you know, people, people say that Bethesda, Bethesda has been struggling a bit lately with, with games not performing, you know, the way they want with games like Prey and the newer Wolfenstein games and the newer Dishonored games. And really outside of like Fallout and Elder Scrolls, just their games not being all that successful. So maybe it makes sense for them to be like, okay, let's get some of these studios that make these games like Rage and and, and Dishonored and, and Wolfenstein to try and do something that's a little more guaranteed to pull on the money. So, you know, something like Indiana Jones. I, I, I'm not going to look into that one all too much because I don't really think that's where this idea was born from. But I do think that's an interesting thing to note um, is that, you know, even though gamers really love Bethesda and really love some of these properties, you know, you got to keep in mind games like Dishonor, games like Prey, they don't do that well. And games like Wolfenstein do well, but they don't do that well. So it is interesting to think about it like that. The other funny thing is that Machine Games has only ever really done first person shooters. So the fact that they're doing Indiana Jones, which we assume is going to be a third person action adventure game, because what else would Indiana Jones be? is really interesting in and of itself. And then the fact that Todd Howard is executive producing it, it's, it's weird because obviously he's worked with Machine Games because it's a Bethesda-owned studio, but he works at Bethesda Software making like Elder Scrolls and Fallout. Those are his games, not whatever Machine Games works on. So that's also very interesting. The only real like through line through for any of this is that <laughs> is that Machine Games makes Wolfenstein, which is the game where you kill Nazis and you beat the shit out of Nazis. And that's kind of what, Indiana Jones is it sees the archaeologist who fights against the Nazis and preserves history and shit like that so in a way it's it's it, the through line is machine games is keeping consistent with their whole games about fighting the Nazis so I I guess I guess that's the through line here that's that's machine games MO is whatever we work on it's just got to be a game where Nazis are, are fought by the player so but um no, I mean, I, th- this announcement really excites me, and it really intrigues me. I have a hard time being, like, super jittery excited about it, though, because, again, it's one of those things where any just the thought of Bethesda is so, is so hard to, like, conceptualize right now because it's like, okay, Microsoft's buying ZeniMax and Bethesda and all those studios right now, so that's not really official, but it's kind of happening right now, and it'll be done by, like, summertime this year, so that's happening. And then Bethesda's working on Sky... or. Elder Scrolls 6 and Starfield, but those games were announced way too premature and we have no idea when they'll ever come out. And then, you know, all the other Bethesda teams, we have no idea what they're working on, so we don't know how far off their next games are and things like that. And now it's like, oh, we got Indiana Jones, but they confirmed that they're basically really prematurely announcing this, so we've got a long ways to go before we really see this game like come into its own and come to fruition and, and, and see it in any tangible way. So... It's just this, everything surrounding Bethesda right now is just like this whole cloud of like, 
oh, in the future, in the future, we'll be playing these games. In the future, we'll know what these games are. In the future, Microsoft will own them. In the future, we'll know if these games are coming to PlayStation still or not, and if so, which ones, and and all that kind of thing. So this just kind of adds to that monotony of, like, everything even remotely related to Bethesda right now is just all hype, all announcement, and no substance until we get closer to it. And that's not to say this isn't going to be an awesome game or that this acquisition with Microsoft isn't going to be interesting. But it is to say that, like, it's just so much hype and so much future stuff and so much keep an eye out on this for future updates that it's, like, it's hard for me to, like, even think Bethesda's real. It's like, what what are you guys doing? You're just spend the rest of your lives announcing cool shit and just working towards the future. Like, I don't don't understand. So this just really plays into that a lot for me, but I am super excited to see this. I think, you know, let's, let's, let's get to the part that I think a lot of Xbox fans want to talk about. Is this going to be a console exclusive game? So let's talk about from the perspective of the different parties involved, Disney and Lucasfilm. Is this going to be an Xbox exclusive game? I think there is the possibility if, I don't know if Disney is willing to say, yeah, Sony, you can make us exclusive Spider-Man game and have it on your console only, then I don't see why they would create a double standard and say, no, Xbox, you can't put this Indiana Jones game on only Xbox. It has to go to PlayStation. Because guess what? If it, if it comes to Xbox exclusively, it still gets to go to PC. So it's not like you can't make the argument that's like, well, PlayStation has a bigger install base. That's why they can do that. And, and Xbox can't. It's like, no, because if this is an Xbox exclusive PC gamers will still get it, and that's the biggest market of gamers there is. So, like, what do you say to that? You know? So, I, I think as far as the Disney Lucasfilm party is concerned in all this, the the likeliness of the likelihood of this becoming an Xbox exclusive, I think that's pretty strong. Now, let's talk about it from the perspective <clears throat> of, Bethes- of of Microsoft. Would Microsoft be willing to make this an Xbox exclusive? 50-50, leaning a little closer towards yes, they would. I think Phil wants console exclusives. He wants big gets like this that make Xbox super alluring. And I think this is the perfect example of an opportunity for Microsoft to give Xbox exclusive content with the Bethesda acquisition. Because again, up until this past Tuesday... No one in the world would have ever guessed that anyone even remotely related to Bethesda or machine games was going to be working on an Indiana Jones video game. So there's no precedent whatsoever that this could potentially be a game or that it would be assumed to be on all platforms, right? Okay, so with that with that precedent set, there's no real massive disappointment or lie or uh, subversion of expectations in saying this game will be an Xbox exclusive game, you know, in the future when they have more to tell, you know? So right now, the, the story probably, the stage isn't probably set. They probably don't know. The answer is this game is in early development. They're probably still hiring. They're probably still um, in pre-development. And the decision whether or not this will be Xbox exclusive or multi-platform probably hasn't officially been made yet. And that's my guess. But from the parties of Xbox and Disney, I think there's a pretty good chance that if they want to make this exclusive, it can absolutely be exclusive. Now is from the perspective of Bethesda. I think once the acquisition goes through, it's more about what Xbox has to say than what Bethesda has to say. But with that being said, I we, we do know that Microsoft has kind of confirmed they want to allow Bethesda and ZeniMax to kind of continue to operate autonomous and, and just kind of 
as their own entity, even though they're owned by Microsoft, for the most part, they're going to continue to do their thing and be the way they are. I think that has more to do with the kinds of games they want to make and the kinds of ways they want to develop their games and the kinds of things they want to like the culture they want to cultivate and the things they want to tackle. I think it has more to do with that and less to do with things like this. I think a decision like this, whereas whether or not this can be exclusive to Xbox or not, is much more of the kind of decision that Microsoft gets to make for Bethesda now that they own them. Whereas, you know, if Bethesda's thing is like, oh, we want to make a new IP instead of the next Fallout game, like Starfield, you know, I think that's more of the thing Bethesda gets to decide, whereas whether or not this comes to PlayStation is more of like Microsoft and Disney's decision to hash out. So that's kind of where I stand in all this. I think there is a pretty fair chance this is an Xbox exclusive. And that, you know, that is exciting. I, I don't like to be the kind of person to get excited about the fact that now fewer people are going to get to play this game because you don't have an Xbox. I don't mean to be that guy, but I'm, I mean, I'm an Xbox fan. And it, it's exciting for me, and understandably so, you know, for like knowing that there's new exclusive content for the Xbox brand. It, that's something that gets me pumped as a fan of the, of, of, of the console. And I think there's a pretty fair chance that this is a console exclusive. So probably just Xbox and PC, but we don't know yet. Stranger things have happened. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I mean, this is this is like crazy bombshell news. And I think this really, you know, obviously Indiana Jones is not Spider-Man level of like icon, iconic and, and just like it's not going to generate that level of excitement, you know, being like, oh, you have an Indiana Jones game. You know, I think... Indiana Jones will sell very, very well. I think it will draw lots of hype, lots of attention, and be a very big draw to the platform. But I don't think Indiana Jones can be for Xbox what Spider-Man has been for PlayStation. This is a great step in the right direction. This is a great get for Xbox. But I obviously, they need more than this, and I'm sure they have more on the way. But I, I see a lot of people immediately comparing this for xbox like what they what spider-man is for playstation that's why i bring it up to begin with and while yes it is somewhat similar i also think it's not it's not entirely one-to-one i think spider-man is just a bigger get spider-man just has more cachet i think spider-man just has more more mind share and just more he's just in the public mind more and he's better liked and more relevant so not exactly the same, but this is a really, really impressive get. And this could be the perfect example of, you know, an opportunity for Microsoft to be like, here's a really compelling reason to be on Xbox. This awesome exclusive Indiana Jones game. If you have Game Pass, you don't even have to buy the fucking thing. And uh, it's not Halo. It's not Gears. It's not Forza. So you can't make your tired jokes of Xbox only has two games or whatever, you know, Gears of War and Halo. So this is this is really good stuff all around really exciting and just aside from that you know xbox aside i'm really excited for the idea of indiana jones having a triple a fully polished fully fleshed out big you know high quality big budget game because indiana jones has never really had that indiana jones is the kind of franchise that's always had the typical like movie tie-in uh relationship where indiana jones you know there are some decent indiana jones games out there but they've never been like, here, you have five years and a massive budget to go and imagine the most immersive and enveloping Indiana Jones adventure possible on a video game console. That's never existed. So this is going to be the first opportunity for us to see what that can look like. And I'm ready to see what that, you know, what that triple A next gen version of an Indiana Jones experience can look like on Xbox, as opposed to just yet another like kind of movie tie in cash grabby standard license game so that's really exciting to me especially as someone who just generally prefers 
Indiana Jones to Star Wars as far as Lucasfilm is concerned. I think it's the better property, and unfortunately, it doesn't get as much play, which is understandable. I think there's a lot more you can do with Star Wars than Indiana Jones, but I, I, I feel like Disney has done a pretty shitty job of doing it. Like, you know, for a company that wants to make, like, literally, like, for a company that made a trilogy of Star Wars movies that they clearly had no fucking plan on, got really lucky with Episode One, got even luckier with Episode Two, even or I guess they call them episodes seven, eight, nine, whatever. Got really lucky with their first entry with Force Awakens. Got really lucky with episode or um, Last Jedi, even though everyone hated it for some reason. And then totally squandered the whole fucking thing with the last movie. And then on top of that, we're like, oh man, we really fucked up Star Wars. We're sorry, guys. We're gonna we're gonna slow down on Star Wars for a little bit. We're gonna roll it back a little bit. And then the next thing you know, they're like, oh, here's 400 Star Wars shows we're planning for Disney+. Plus. Here's 500 ways we're making new Star Wars games and, and putting new Star Wars merchandise. And we promise to have a Baby Yoda in everyone's home by the year 2027. It's just like, like Disney doesn't know how to fucking stop or slow down with Star Wars to save their lives. Meanwhile, you know, they bought Lucasfilm all on the same day. Like, they've had Indiana Jones just as long as, they ha- as they've had Star Wars. It's like... Why the fuck aren't they doing anything with with Indiana Jones? I understand it's not as big or as lucrative, but like you, you've had this, you've had Indiana Jones for like almost a decade now. Like, what the fuck? Do something with it. They've been talking about this new Indiana Jones movie for like for I don't. know. They've been talking about this new Indiana Jones movie since like Obama had fucking no gray hair or whatever. Like like just fucking do something with this, you know? But yeah, so this is really exciting to see something with Indiana Jones happening. It's really exciting to think it's pretty likely that could be an Xbox exclusive. And I'm just really excited to see what machine games and Bethesda and Todd Howard and everyone comes up with and, and what this, what this high quality triple a cinematic, you know, in this era of video games being super cinematic and super boundary pushing and, and just high production, high value. I'm really excited to see what that can be for Indiana Jones, because as someone who vastly prefers gaming to movies, I think this has the potential to be the coolest Indiana Jones property out there. You know, does, does that make sense? Like, I think as of now, you know, there's only four Indiana Jones movies and a couple of video games. Like, I think my favorite Indiana Jones thing of all time is probably the Indiana Jones ride at Disneyland in California. So, and then after that, it's like the the first three movies. So this, this has the potential to be like the coolest Indiana Jones thing out there. And I really hope this ends up being something special. So I'm really looking forward to seeing more of that. Um, but since they did super prematurely announce it, that just means, much like Starfield in Elder Scrolls Six, we've got years to go before we're playing this thing. So don't get too excited uh, and pack your patience, baby. So that's that's just the first story. Like I said, this is a big news week. And, and now, obviously, none of these other stories are going to take nearly as long to go through. They're actually all pretty quick stories, but they're interesting ones. So we'll jump through the rest of the news, but... You see, you see what I mean? This is an exciting news week. We haven't had one like this in a minute. So our next story from Windows Central says, Microsoft's original Xbox had an uphill battle in getting early support, and part of the plan for getting su- said support involved the potential of massive purchases. In a report from Bloomberg, the early struggles are well documented, with multiple uh, former executives at Microsoft offering comments. Steve Ballmer, the former CEO of Microsoft, was particularly interested in major acquisitions to help Xbox out at the time. Quote, Steve made us go to meetings at Nintendo to see if they would consider being acquired. They just laughed their asses off, said Kevin, said Kevin Buck, 
said Kevin Bacchus, director of third-party relations at Xbox at the time. Quote, like, imagine an hour of someone just laughing at you. That was the kind of meeting that went. Microsoft also approached EA, who simply said no thanks, according to Bob Breen, uh, head of business development. Talks were held with Midway and Square, which went better, but also failed to work out. So this was a story that I saw kind of going around like a week and a half ago. But I thought it'd be fun to point out and just kind of have, I actually should have put this at the end of the notes as like the last story. I think this is kind of a fun story. You know, the last one being such a such a big undertaking. This just kind of being a, a more lighthearted thing to jump into afterwards. So Steve Ballmer, you know, for those who don't know, he was the CEO of Microsoft before Satya Nadella, Nadella who, took play, who took over in I think 2015, maybe the end of 2014, 2015. And Steve Ballmer, he's, he's like... What? he's kind of hated and, and looked down on. Uh, he is kind of awful and he is responsible for a lot of really bad things and, and mismanagement at Microsoft. But at the same time, I also have a weird like nostalgia, nostalgia and appreciation for Balmer just because his era of running Microsoft was so defined of like the kind of pro consumer angle, like windows phone, windows eight, making Microsoft look like flashy and cool and hip like Apple was. So trying to like make that happen for Microsoft. And I always appreciate that because that's the thing that really speaks to the few and far between Microsoft fanboys out there like myself. But uh, yeah, he's also kind of a fucking idiot and he did a lot of stupid shit. So this is a perfect example of that. Like just trying to go out to Nintendo. Now I, I, I respect this to an extent because I'm a firm believer of the, of the idea that like, you know, like anything can be purchased. Like if, if you have enough money, you know, everyone has a price. If you, if you went up to Nintendo and said, hi, here is, literally 18 trillion dollars and the country of of Austria will give you Austria and 17 trillion dollars for Nintendo that's all we're asking they'd be like oh, fuck god damn 17 trillion dollars and a country like oh my god like how do we say no to that like everyone has a price you know there's a, obviously Microsoft can't give every penny they ever made to buy Nintendo, it just doesn't make business sense, but everyone has a price. So it, it, I do respect the the ballsiness and the ambition for them to be like, fuck it, let's just go out there and see if we can buy Nintendo and add that into the Microsoft gaming brand. Let's see if we can go out there and just buy EA games and add that to the Xbox brand. It's There's something kind of respectable about that just ballsiness and that, and that like, that go-getter kind of attitude that like, hey, I'm willing to make, crazy moves in, 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 because you never know what's going to pay off. You never know what's actually going to go through or work, but this is just a fucking crazy story. And you know, it's easy to laugh at because it didn't work out because it was such a ridiculous ask. And it was such an unrealistic thing to have happen. And then the fact that it then went wrong is what makes it so easy to look back on and laugh at. But uh, yeah, this is uh, this is pretty much the Microsoft of 10, 15 years ago, just super, super ballsy, super self-assured and, making all the wrong moves. I don't see a world. I mean, I'm glad ultimately this didn't happen, especially when you think, you know, especially when you think of companies like Nintendo, because I, I love that we have a world where there are three distinct competitors. I, and especially now as we move into the series X PS five generation, I love that Xbox is so focused on ways to play and powerful consoles and accessibility and options for every gamer, no matter what you have, where you are, what you play on. And then in, in in gaming through services like Game Pass, whereas PlayStation's like we're like tried and true games. We are always about the next piece of hardware, 
like powerful next generation consoles that just play games, exclusive games, buy a game, buy a console, the way we've always played games, but just the newer, better version of it. And then you got Nintendo who's over there just like, what's that? You want to be able to play online with your friends? How about Animal Crossing, the most social game in the fucking world, and we still have the worst online access ever, and you still buy it anyway, and then they make a billion dollars off of fucking re-releasing Wii U games, but it's all good because technically their games are fun to play, and we can't really argue with that, but I just love that all three brands get to be so distinctively different from one another and fill out their own part of the market, and I would hate to see you know, one of these brands fall out or one buyout, another. I love just seeing the competition and the dichotomy of kind of the video game landscape. So I'm all for the fact that this didn't work out, but it is kind of funny to think of like a a directionless and confused Steve Ballmer, Steve Ballmer, John Matrix era, Microsoft just like being stupid, like, oh, hey, Nintendo, would you you like to be bought out in uh, Bitcoin and fucking uh, shares of Microsoft Office, please and thank you? So, I don't know, that's just a fun story. But next one, getting back into some more serious stuff uh, from Windows Central. While the Xbox controller versus DualSense controller on PS5 debate has been underway since the beginning, it seems that Microsoft is testing the waters with the possibility of bringing some of the Sony's DualSense features to the Xbox platform. According to a new report from TechRadar, a survey headed out to Xbox Series X and S owners is sneaking up in some awfully specific questions among the generic the generic survey questions that we all expect. The survey asks users if, quote, they are aware of PlayStation features on PlayStation controllers that they wish were on controllers that came with their own console, end quote. This shows that Microsoft is considering adapting some of these innovative features for themselves, which is awesome to hear. While the Xbox wireless controller is still a fantastic uh, controller in its own right, Sony deserves praise for trying new things with their controller, and it'd be great to see Xbox team do the same. I find this so interesting because... One, knowing the kind of Microsoft and Xbox we have today, it doesn't surprise me that they'd be willing to adopt the features of the DualSense to evolve the Xbox controller because we see a Microsoft and an Xbox these days that's very, you know, unafraid to be like, yeah, we were inspired by what the competition's doing. We're inspired by what's out there in the industry and we want that for our platform. I could see Phil and in the current team Xbox being very open about that because they, they've been that way. You know, they've been like, I love when someone introduces something that inspires the other team, you know, fucking PlayStation stole from Xbox when they did, they did PlayStation plus to fight with Xbox live. They did trophies to fight achievements and things like that. It's th- this happens. It's people make good stuff. It's undeniably awesome. It pushes the industry forward and the competition adopts what the spearheader put out there. And so I, I love the idea of, and I, and I think we have a Microsoft today that would be very open to adopting these features. Um, so that in and of itself doesn't surprise me, but what does surprise me is how fast Microsoft is already testing the waters here because obviously there's a lot of buzz around the dual sense and its features because it's new. The PS five is new and all that. And I, I'm someone who loves gimmicky stuff or new techie stuff. So the, the, the haptics and everything on the PS five's dual sense controller, you know, despite all the other Xbox fans that want to bitch and moan about how it's stupid, it's gimmicky. I actually think it's awesome. And I really want to try it out because I, I love stuff like that, especially when I, when, when I, when you can sell me on it, the gimmick, when you can turn the gimmick from a gimmick to a feature that I want to have there. Like you got to think rumble's a gimmick on controllers, but why does every fucking controller have rumble? Because it works. It adds to the experience. It makes gaming better and more immersive. And it, it makes, I don't know. It just, it adds a level of depth. Like rumble's one of those things where like, you don't notice it when it's happening, but then when 
your battery dies and rumble turns off or something like that, you're suddenly like, what the fuck? Why isn't it rumbling? Because it, it helps add to that, that extra layer of immersion. And so if the dual sense is bringing that with these haptics and these sensitive triggers and all that shit, and this is something that developers are taking advantage of and it takes off and it becomes a standard, I think it would be very wise of Xbox to just embrace it and adopt it rather than to be too proud to admit that Sony did something cool that they didn't have. So I, I love the idea of that. Um, that being said, I mean, it seems like people are still kind of unanimously like, yeah, but the ergonomics of the Series X controller is still better, you know, but that doesn't really surprise me. Microsoft seems to really have controller feel and ergonomics kind of to a T to a point where like, I don't think anyone can really compete with them on that, but that doesn't mean there isn't room for improvement and there aren't features that PlayStation can introduce that Xbox could, you know, benefit from adapt adopting. So I, I love this idea. I, I really hope this is something they're seriously considering. And I guess it really is mostly just dependent on our developers going to continue to support these features. Our gamers going to continue to respond well to these features. And that's, that's a really a time will tell sort of thing, of course. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of hoping this stuff sticks around that Xbox does adopt it because I think these are cool concepts. I still haven't had the chance to use a dual sense control. And I really want to try one because at least conceptually, I believe in this technology. So whatever. I also was a proponent of the Nintendo Wii. So what do I know? All right. Our next story here is from windows central. Again, originally set to release sometime in holiday 2020 outriders, a co-op RPG from people can fly in square Enix has been delayed to February, uh, February 2nd, 2021. Now outriders has been delayed again, this time to April 1st, 2021. And no, that's not a joke. The delay will allow the developer to spend extra time fine tuning the game and focusing on delivering a fantastic play experience at launch. While the full game is no longer releasing in February, players can still get a chance to try it out as People Can Fly announced a demo coming to the game uh, coming out on February 25th. This demo will allow players to try out the first few hours of the game with all four classes, a single player and co-op, as well as allowing players to carry over their progress into the full game when it releases on April 1st. Outriders is coming to Xbox One, Series X, Series S, and PC. If you buy the game on Xbox One, you'll get a free upgrade to the corresponding next-gen version. Outriders also supports full crossplay across all platforms, so you and a friend can team up no matter what. This is a game I keep forgetting is coming out over and over again. And actually, after I read this news today, as I was preparing notes for the show, I went over to YouTube and I and I watched like one of the new gameplay demos of it. I don't know why I kept assuming this was a first person like co-op shooter, like first person shooter, because I guess I was just thinking people can fly and it was making me think of what was that game they made? Um, whatever that like first person looking Gears of War type game they made like 10 years ago. They recently released it with Duke Nukem in it or something. Anyway, but I, I was kind of thinking it was that and I was kind of hoping it would be because I was like, ah, I, I might be in the mood for a game like that. But Outriders is a weird game because not a lot of people are talking about it and I feel like it's just not getting a lot of press, but it's basically just like another Destiny, Anthem, Division type clone. And I don't mean that in a mean way. Like, we don't know. Maybe this game blows up and ends up being really successful. But it just seems like this genre is so crowded. The people who are looking for a games as a service type game like this have already found their platform and are already happy with where they're at, whether it be Destiny or the Division or whatever have you. So it's hard for me to understand why companies are still really fighting for this space in this already really crowded genre uh, where the Titans have kind of already established themselves. But nonetheless, here we are. I, I think the game's ready to go. I think this delay has everything to do with two things, and, and both are related to Square Enix. So Square Enix is publishing the game, and this is one, them being bullish about the way this game 
or one them being nervous about the way this game is going to perform so they're de- they're delaying it so they can use the demo to kind of gauge interest and two because of the performance of Marvel's Avengers and them now being nervous that this is another flop on their hands cuz remember Square Enix sold like they broke sales records with Final Fantasy 7 remake last year and they were doing super super well and then ended up losing money because of how poorly Marvel's Avengers did against its development and marketing budgets. So they lost a lot of money on a year that should have been a really profitable one for them. And I think now they're really trying to pinch pennies and, and be a little more restrictive and, and, and deliberate and controlled on their release schedule and in their games, because they, they want to make up for the losses of Marvel's Avengers and kind of get back on top of things. But now because you know, they committed to outriders years and years ago when they agreed to publish it, I think now they're starting to worry that, you know, they made this bet on Marvel's Avengers and Outriders and between the two of them, they'd probably have their own destiny like game. And and now I think they're staring down the barrel of the gun, looking at at these two games, thinking, shit, these are both going to bomb. These are both going to make us lose money. And they're trying desperately to see if there's a way they can avoid that. Maybe they don't think Outriders will be a massive hit, but maybe there's a way they can kind of turn people onto it and give it a, a niche audience or help it perform better than it otherwise would have had they just released it in February as it was originally supposed to. So that's kind of my theory here is that what they're doing is they're saying, Hey, in February, you guys can just download the game, play it, get a feel for it, see if it's your thing. And hopefully through that, you know, because it's a free experience, they can get a lot of people who otherwise wouldn't have looked at this game hooked on it and committed to purchasing it when it comes out in April. And that way kind of giving this game like a, uh, a bolstered audience and, and, and user base without, you know, it's, it's kind of like a, yeah, like, I mean like any beta, but again, just kind of getting people in the door because obviously this game hasn't really lit the world on fire. You don't hear a lot of people talking about it. Media sites are going too nuts with coverage on it and the game's pretty much ready to go. So yeah, I think clearly they're trying to find some way to last minute remarket and re present the game to the two people in hopes that they can garner an audience before the game actually hits, you know, street release date and shelves and everything. And they can somehow turn around and make it a profitable experience. And I, I think that's what exactly what's happening here is they know this game is going to be a flop and they're trying to find a way to either make it less of a flop or somehow by the good graces of God, make it into something of a hit, even if it's a small hit. So We'll see. You know, I wish them the best because that that sucks for Square Enix. But you know, they made their bed when they when they decided years ago that they were going to bet on a Marvel's Avengers Destiny knockoff and then their own original IP Destiny knockoff. And you know, maybe it made sense in 2016 or whenever they started backing these games. But a lot of times passed since then, and that that market has matured a lot. And I think it really seems like it's mostly come down to like destinies, like the last man standing in that, in that genre, but we'll, we'll see how things go. Uh, I might still give it a try. Cause why not? You know, it's free. So maybe give it, get in there and try it out. I still, for whatever reason, really wish this was a first person shooter. So that's all I had to say on that. Now let's get into our next story here. From Windows Central, Arcane Studios is one of the eight studios under the Bethesda Softworks publishing umbrella, but there are actually two different teams, Arcane Lion in France and Arcane Austin in Austin, Texas. Harvey Smith, co-creator of Dishonored franchise, recently spoke with Vandal, confirming that he's working with Arcane Austin on a new game, having left uh, Arcane in France um, after Dishonored 2 was finished in 2016. 
He says, quote, I'm not working on Deathloop. I'm on something else, working with guys who made Dishonored and Prey. He explained, Arcane Studios is currently hiring several positions to work on a AAA immersive sim, which is likely Austin's uh, next game. It'll be interesting to see what the game is. It could be a new Dishonored title, a sequel to Prey, or a completely new IP. Regardless, it seems like fans of the immersive sims are going to have something to look forward to. Arcane Lion in France is currently finishing up work on Deathloop, a time loop story of rival assassins. The game is a timed exclusive console or timed console exclusive for PS5, and after being delayed past the launch of PS5, it's currently set to release on May 21st. So first things first, I don't think there's any chance in hell they're working on Dishonored. I think Dishonored is done. It does if Dishonored comes back, it's one of those things that's gonna be like once there's a lot of years behind Dishonored 2 and there's like a big pent-up demand for the franchise to return but i don't think we're getting more dishonored anytime soon so first things first scratch out the list could it be a sequel to prey that's possible and in fact i think prey 2 would be something that you could make xbox exclusive and not really piss people off because prey from what i understand sold kind of soft and just didn't like the world on fire even though a lot of people seem to have liked the game so that would be an easy one for them to do um but you know considering the whole bethesda is it going to be exclusive thing We'll try to steer away from that part of the conversation a little bit just because it's, again, it's hard to know. So many things are still in development or up in the air and, you know, the ink hasn't dried on the deal yet, things like that. But I I, I think they're working on something new. I think they're taking this head development or or this, this head talent from their Dishonored team, bringing them over to Austin, which is the team that is probably harder at work on the next thing since they're not wrapping up a new game like Deathloop. And I think they're saying... Okay, what is a new IP we can do? What is something that could be for this new era of Arcane? You know, something that's not tied to a franchise that we've done before, like Dishonored, that didn't do too well. Something that could t- potentially be exclusive to Xbox now that we're part of Xbox. Or, like, what what is it we can do? My guess is they're working on a new, a new IP. Probably has some staples of Arcane's, you know, DNA whether it be that kind of stealthy Dishonored shit or that Deathloop shit that they do that is so distinctively arcane. It's hard for me to speak to them just because I've never really played an arcane game. I finally downloaded Dishonored 1, but I still haven't booted it up yet because, you know me, I'm a Black Ops man. But uh, I don't know. I, I It's hard for me to speculate on this because Arcane is a studio I'm actually a little, just a little hazy on. It's, it's, it's hard for me to guess what they're kind of doing here. But they're shifting around some key talent from the main team, which is finishing up a a big game that's about to release in a few months. And they're moving him to kind of the second studio in Austin, Texas, which is working on an unannounced project, which, again, considering the fact that Dishonored is on ice for not doing super well and Prey eh, probably isn't the best thing to, to be working on right now. My bet is they're trying to get their head talent to spearhead a brand new project at the studio that isn't hard at work on finishing up a new game. You know, the one that's working on what's next. So that's that's just my two cents, but we'll stay tuned for that, for more on that. Then next we've got, uh, with the release of the Xbox Series X and S, Microsoft made the strange decision to stick with uh, to stick with aging AA batteries as the default source of power on their new cons- or controllers. This choice continues to be a confusing confusing one for gamers when every other competitor has long since moved over to rechargeable batteries with cables. While Microsoft has touched several reasons why the continued decision is, a new interview with a stealth op, 
with stealth optional um, may reveal the biggest the biggest reason behind AA batteries and the Xbox wire, wireless controller. In an interview, Luke Anderson of the UK marketing manager for Duracell revealed the following. He says, quote, there's always been a partnership with Duracell and Xbox. It's the cornerstone agreement that Duracell and Microsoft have in place. The deal is for o- the OEM, sorry, the deal is for OEM to supply the battery product for the Xbox consoles and also the controller's batteries. So the, so the deal is going to be for a while. It's been going for a while, and I think it needs to go on for a while more. Apparently, Duracell, the, co- the colossal battery behemoth that's been around for ages, has an ongoing partnership with Microsoft on all things battery-powered. However, it's not completely clean-cut, as Microsoft responded uh, to a query um, from MCV with the following statement which suggests Duracell has nothing to do with Microsoft's decision. They say, quote, we intentionally offer consumers choices in their battery solutions for our standard Xbox wireless controllers. This includes the use of AA batteries from from any brand, the Xbox rechargeable battery, charging solutions from our partners, USB cables, and they can power the controller when plugged into the console or PC. So this is an interesting one. When I was younger in the 360 days, I used to kind of be on team like, why the fuck doesn't it have a battery pack or rechargeable situation going on? And then as I got a little older, I really bought into the whole, oh man, I love that Xbox has the battery thing because it means you can just swap batteries or buy a charger pack and just swap that so that, you know, if you're playing a game and your battery dies, you can just pop open the back, put new batteries or put a new battery pack in there, pop it back on and you're back to playing. You don't miss a beat. I love that. I actually really love that, especially because, you know, I don't play my PlayStation often, but I fucking hate when I am playing PlayStation and then... My battery dies on the controller, and then I feel tied to the fucking TV because I got to plug up to a cable. Even if the cable's long enough that I have plenty of slack from the couch to the TV, it's just so frustrating because I just I feel tethered to the PlayStation. It's just a miserable experience. So this is actually something I really do love and appreciate about Xbox is the fact that you can just hot swap the batteries or the charger pack on the back and get right back to gaming without having to be tied up to the console. Um but the more I think about it, the more it is just like, okay, well, that's all well and fine. It's cool that you can use batteries, but why don't they keep it exactly as it is right now? With the exception that when you buy a controller or when you buy an Xbox, it has the battery pack just included. Like instead of getting a AA batteries, you just get the Xbox battery pack. And then if you want to use AA batteries as backup, you can. If you want to use a different battery pack, you can. But the controller comes with the chargeable battery pack and the USB cable instead of just the AA batteries. And I think that's the part of the argument that lends credibility to the story. Um, and the other thing that lends credibility to it is, you know, just being a Microsoft fan in general, I know this 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 Duracell history is actually a real thing because right now I'm recording the show holding on to my Microsoft Surface mouse, which comes with Duracell batteries um, in it. And I'm typing on my Microsoft Surface keyboard, which is wireless and powered by Duracell batteries. So, I mean, it's I have my Microsoft Surface pen here, which is not rechargeable. The new pen is rechargeable, but the old pen is actually powered by a Duracell quadruple A battery. So it is a real thing to point out that that it is always, oddly enough, Duracell batteries. Um, so I don't know. I, I'd like to point out that there is some credibility to this as funny as that is, 
I don't know. There's not much to say here other than maybe that's the reason why you're not getting these chargeable battery packs in your controllers. I mean, but I, I think it, we, I did argue on the show once that, you know, it is another way of keeping costs down. Just saying, you know, we can continue to sell the controllers for 60 bucks instead of bumping the price as PlayStation has. And they can continue to often put the controllers on sale as they, as they commonly do, even with Series X controllers. Because, hey, they have another cost-cutting measure of being like, we don't include the chargeable battery pack. That's that's a big cost right there. So, whatever. It could just be a way to increase margins and things like that. What are you going to do? I, I don't know. This isn't like a real issue to me. I just thought that was a fun story. All right, then let's get into our two wrap-up stories. First one here is that... Despite constant updates and injections of content to Minecraft's mobile Pokemon Go-like spinoff, Minecraft Earth, Mojang Mojang Studios is officially shutting down the mobile project later this year. Minecraft Earth will no longer be operational or downloadable as of June 30th, 2021. In order to make the last few months of Minecraft Earth more enjoyable uh, for the fans, for the few remaining players, Mojang is releasing a final update for the game. The announcement reads, Dear Minecraft Earth Community, It is with heavy hearts that we must announce today that we're releasing the final Minecraft Earth build. We've made several adjustments to make the next few months as fun as possible, but the game will officially close down and be removed from the app stores on June 30th. Thank you for your support over the past year, and we hope we can spend the next few months making some great memories together. The Minecraft Earth team. So this is kind of a sad one. I I, I wasn't even fully under the impression that Minecraft Earth was like completely out. I thought it was still in some kind of beta testing phase thing. So that just goes to show how well they've done making this game known to the public. This is crazy just because you think about like Minecraft just being one of the most absolutely successful behemoth games ever in the history of video games. And there are just variants of Minecraft that are just not popular. And that's such a crazy fucking thing to think about. I think Minecraft Dungeons has a similar thing where obviously I think it's a lot more popular than Minecraft Earth and a lot more well-known and played. But the fact that you know, Minecraft came out with a game called Minecraft last year and it just didn't light the world on fire, which is kind of what happened with Minecraft Dungeons. It just, uh, again, it's like, it really is a testament how it's not always, it's not always the property. It's, it's the game. Does it have that special sauce? And I think, I think that's what they proved here is that Minecraft just can't be skinned and applied to anything because it's Minecraft. It has to have the thing that makes Minecraft Minecraft. And I guess this just wasn't it. I don't know. I've, I've heard the argument that, you know, Minecraft or Xbox and Microsoft are going to keep failing at their mobile efforts with games as long as they keep trying to bandwagon, you know, Minecraft Earth being like Pokemon Go, Gears Pop being like just another mobile strategy game. But they need to really find their own niche and carve out their own thing. I, I think it's more complicated than that. I don't think it can be boiled down to something that simple. I think the mobile market, you know, if the gaming market in general is just super finicky and you never know, you can put a really great game out there and just totally bomb and fail out on the main market with PC gaming and Xbox and PlayStation. I think you're even more like subject to that kind of volatile market um, when it comes to mobile because you, man, you could put out literally anything on the app store. And if it's not whatever the fuck is popular that week, it's just like, bye-bye. You know, the app store is dominated by just like stupid match three puzzle games and fucking Pokemon Go and Facebook. I I don't know what the fuck it is people are downloading, but it really is. It seems like there's no real rhyme or reason to what makes a game hit on the app stores, whether it be Google Play or Apple's app store. So I think it's a little more complicated than that, but it is sad to see this game that apparently has been around for about a year 
you just kind of shit the bed and and go away. I literally just looked on right now on the Google Play Store. It's not even there, so I don't I don't know what that means. Did it only maybe it only ever came to iPhone? I don't fucking know. But rest in peace, Minecraft Earth. You are the first thing this year that Microsoft has claimed the life of. Say hi to Zune and Windows Phone and Mixer when you get up there into the big blue <sighs> Microsoft shaped sky. All right, and our final story of the week comes from IGN, and it is that Wastelands 3 developer in Exile Entertainment appears to be working on an FPS RPG according to a new job listing. Spotted by Twisted Voxel, the studio's open position, um, such as lead gameplay engineer, mentions the application. Applicants will be working on in Exile's next-generation action role-playing game, implementing, quote, new first-person shooter gameplay features. The senior gameplay designer position talks about the creation of, quote, powerful, tactile, first-person weapons and unique combat abilities that draw the player right into the middle of the action, all but confirming an Exiles project will be a first-person shooter RPG similar to the likes of Cyberpunk or Deus Ex. The senior lighting artist position mentions experience in ray tracing as a requirement, and the lead environmental artist list talks about evocative and immersive worlds with a range of art assets from realistic to slightly stylized, which gives us a vague idea about how this unannounced game will look. In Exile is also looking for facial animators to deliver life-like face performance on original timeless characters. And then back in May of 2020, in Exile CEO Brian Fargo mentioned that the studio's next RPG will harness the power of Unreal Engine 5 during development, Later that year, in September, Fargo added that the studio is working on two RPGs right now, with the second one in its infancy of pre-production, which is presumably this project. It's not clear whether InXile is hiring for one project in particular or both, but the news is exciting regardless. So, and of course, you know, Brian Fargo in InXile or his his older projects um, that he's known for are the creation of the Fallout franchise before Bethesda took over with Fallout 3. So this is really interesting because not only is NXL, you know, up until Microsoft acquiring them, been doing smaller games, top-down, isometric games, strategy, tactical games. Um, but now with that Xbox pop-up money, they're able to do these more AAA games, these more ambitious games, and upscale their team and, and make a first-person, open-world, next-gen game. So first there's that. But then in addition to that, but in addition to that, you know, as exciting as this announcement or this or this news might be on its own in an isolated situation, you know, oh man, Microsoft's going to get a first person open world RPG game, whatever, you know, probably something similar to like a Cyberpunk or an Elder Scrolls or a Fallout or whatever. It's also like, okay, now we're starting to hit a situation here where it's like we got Fable, we got Avowed, we got... Microsoft acquiring Bethesda, which includes, you know, Elder Scrolls, Fallout, Starfield. We've got we've got Fable, Vowed, everything, uh, Outer Worlds, just all, all this shit. It's like, okay, we're starting to hit this point where it's like, you know, Microsoft used to get criticized because all Xbox was was first-person shooters and bro shooters. Well, now Xbox is just massive open-world, next-generation, AAA, first-person uh, RPG games like Fallout and Elder Scrolls and, and Cyberpunk and stuff like that. So it's like, okay, wh what what's happening here that we're just getting so much of this? And it kind of worries me a little bit. It's like, are, are we getting too much? Is this going to be like, are the open-world first-person RPG games going to be to Xbox 
what the third-person action-adventure story-driven cinematic games are to PlayStation. You know, how, like, Last of Us and Uncharted came out, and now suddenly, like, every fucking PlayStation game is just, like, a different flavor of The Last of Us. Is that what we're looking at here? Is it's like, okay, well, now Microsoft bought all the Western RPG developers, so now every Xbox exclusive is just going to be a different flavor of Fallout and Elder Scrolls. Is like, is that what we're looking at here? And... So that's kind of what what's what what gets me a little bit about this, but at the same time, I'm sure each team has their own take on it that it's going to be, you know, different games. What does make me a little apprehensive about this though is that this is this is too much focus on one segment of the market. And and one thing, you know, with all these acquisitions that Microsoft has done in recent years and is doing, I really wanted to see Microsoft go, "Hey, we're trying to get, you know, our our platformer, our sports game, our open world RPG game, our first person games, our third person games, our, you know, all these different types of games, our racing games, so that they could hit all the different segments of the market. But right now, from what we're getting from all these early announcements, it just seems like Microsoft is really hitting the shit out of this Western RPG open world genre. And I just hope that doesn't end up being to their detriment that they invest too much in one thing and then have this kind of blow up in their face. And I, I don't think Phil Spencer's going around to these studios saying, okay, you're going to make an open world Western RPG game and you're going to make one and you're going to make one. I think these studios are just kind of being left to make their own games. I think what's happening is studios, especially like in Exile, which are historically pretty small, lower f- budget teams, are being told like, hey, welcome to Team Xbox. Here's a fucking blank check. Go make a game of your dreams. Go hire. Go take an extra two years of development. Do whatever it is you need to do, but make the most ambitious, beautiful game you can think of and do it on our dime, right? And that's kind of what it means to be a part of Team Xbox right now. And I think as a consequence of that, what they're getting is all these teams they bought, you know, and and Phil talks about how they buy the teams that make sense for them, that they have relationships with from the past. And that, and that makes sense when you look at like, Obsidian and in Exile and Bethesda and things like that. There is a history of Windows and Microsoft and Xbox with these old PC developers that they're acquiring left and right. But again, it's like you're giving them all blank checks. You're giving them all creative free reign. You're saying go away, make an ambitious game and come back with what you've got when you're ready to show it. And it seems like we're starting to see this trend of like, okay, these people all want to make their Elder Scrolls, their Fallout, their Cyberpunk, their Witcher and that's cool because those games are really, really successful and really popular and, and, and loved. But, like, we can't have too much of that, okay? Like, I'm not going to jump from Fabled to Avowed to whatever in Exile is working on to Starfield and just be like, wow, I'm so excited for the next, like, 200-hour open-world first-person, you know, role-playing game. Like, I just, I don't have it in me to keep doing that. So I'm, I'm really hoping that there's more of a strategic approach to this and Xbox isn't just blindly saying, yeah, keep making everyone just go make your own version of the same game over and over again. I really hope that's not what we're getting at here because even though there's technically a world in which I see that's a very successful strategy for them because, I mean, look at what Sony releases. I just think that would be disappointing for them to acquire this much talent, this many studios, invest this much in diversifying the Xbox lineup only for it to end up being a whole lot of the same thing, you know, different flavors of the same meal. Um, So, Hopefully that's not what we're seeing here, and and I trust that In Exile has enough of a differentiating approach and enough of a creative slant that whatever it is they're working on is going to be vastly different from whatever Bethesda is working on, which is vastly different from whatever Playground's working on with Fable and et cetera, et cetera. 
But this is just something I want to point out, a trend we're starting to see, something that's starting to form here, and I hope this doesn't end up being a problem down the road, that's all. But yeah, with that said, guys, that's going to do it for all of our big news this week. Let's round out the show, this over two-hour-long show, with our important enough news, stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warrant their own discussion, of which we've got, you know, three quick ones. Then we'll just pound through them real quick. First, Respawn Entertainment and Electronic Arts have shared details on the next-generation updates for Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. No matter what your platform choice is, the experience overall has been revised with better frame rates and or higher resolution and post-processing effects. On Xbox Series S, frame rates will be increased to 60 FPS. On Xbox Series X, performance mode now runs at a consistent 60 FPS with dynamic resolution changing between 1080p to 1440p. On Series X normal mode, you can get 4K post-processing with dynamic resolution of 1512p to 2160. And then finally on PS5, the frame rate has been increased to 60 FPS with 1440 post-processing in 1200p resolution. And yes, the internet was blown up about how Xbox is better because Series X can get a better performance mode. Who gives a shit? Next, Mass Effect Legendary Edition, the remaster collection of the original Bioware RPG trilogy, releases on March 12th, 2021, according to a report by Eurogamer. The release date leak comes courtesy of Singapore retailer uh, Shoptree and an Indonesian company, GSS Shop, uh, both of which have posted the March 12th date, which was spotted by Twitter user Idle Sloth. Eurogamer states that the source is believed to be accurate and the date is legit. And then finally, this week, Xbox announced the Xbox Wireless Controller Pulse Red, which looks really beautiful and these stock images are making me really want to buy it. But you can pick up this new Wireless Pulse Red controller for your player too. And it's only 65 bucks, and it's available beginning February 9th in most Xbox markets, but it's apparently already available in China, so that's the whole thing. I, I wish these new Xbox controllers they're doing for the Series X weren't white on the back. I don't like I like the blue one, but it's white on the back. And this red one looks really good. I actually really want to buy this red one. It's like the combination of red and black and the way that you do it looks really, really good. But then you flip it over the back and it's just white for some reason. I wish they didn't do that. I wish it was I wish the back was either black or or red, keeping with the rest of the cohesive theme, but I really like this controller, so I just want to point that out because these pictures caught my eye. But that's going to do it for our podcast this week, guys. I would normally go over the Game Pass releases of the week, but Microsoft still hasn't put anything on Xbox Wire, so there are no new games to go over, even though games are still coming out. And then your reminder of Games of Gold for the month of January. you got Little Nightmares for the whole month, Dead Rising uh, until February 15th, beginning January 16th. So you can start downloading that at, at the end of this week. The King of Fighters uh, 8 is available January 1st through 15th, and then Breakdown is available from January 16th to 30, the 31st, which is an Xbox original game that I've always wanted to play, so maybe I'll actually give that a try if I can ever get off Call of Duty. And that's going to do it for the show, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to comment in and leave nice nice words of wisdom for us to listen to next week. Now we're going to play you out with a song from Count Skyla, and until next week, guys, power your dreams.
Snowball!